Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me today, I have Josh Torres. Anime. Adam Vitali. Hello. Chow Min Wu. Expo. <laughs> and joining us once again for the first time in about a year and a half or two years, we have a special guest. We have joining us George Yang. 2023, Anime Expo 2023. <laughs> there you go, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, the, 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 the Asians, you know, had to step up. <laughs> yeah, so uh, no James, because James is over at doing something, I assume, relevant to us at Anime Expo, um, playing a Grand Blue Fantasy Relink demo or something. Uh, but yeah, oh, so we have... Uh, he's going to confirm it's real for us. He's like, is I it, see it in my own eyes. Is it actually playable or is it just like a demo? Like I think a, it's, a, a, it's a video. It's a video Maybe? file that you just. Oh, like, yeah. Prepared. Yeah. He, he, they just boot it up and like whatever, whatever you're controlling, it's actually like a dragon's lair, like a pre a, a movie playing in front of you. Yeah. So we had uh, George join us about a couple years ago when we uh, were discussing the release of Tales of Arise, whenever that was. I'm sure it was longer, longer ago than I remember. Uh, George <laughs> is a. Correct me if I'm wrong, George. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to introduce you. You're a freelance writer who has bylines pretty much all over the place at Polygon, at IGN, at CNN, at Crunchyroll, and uh, Kotaku, and of course yep. our RPG site. So yes, mm-hmm. he's a world warrior. Yeah, so we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. So we we are glad yeah, we yeah. can make the illustrious list. So thank you for joining. Yes, uh, of course. So we are recording this uh, on the first day of July, uh, looking at our itinerary for today. Of course, we have Anime Expo going on, and there are, as always, some some gaming-related presences there. I know Bandai's there, Sega's there, uh, a few other people are there that maybe Adam knows for sure. And I know that James is always setting up some, some demos and is going to report back next week on that. But compared to the last few weeks of Summer Games Fest, of Nintendo Direct, a few weeks before that, we had the PlayStation Showcase, we had the Xbox Showcase, with everyone else. On the news front, and as we go into July, it's kind of actually going to be a little bit of a quiet month, relatively speaking. Of course, I think we're all okay with that because then you look into August and September, and I don't think my family is going to hear from me because there's just too many games releasing. <laughs> so uh, we are going to open up with a few recent releases, uh, or actually upcoming releases in one case, going into July that are kind of the, the headliners for the month. Before we do that, I just wanted to mention that, like, this weekend being Anime Expo, literally as we're recording this or shortly after, there's, uh, like, Bandai Nameco has a panel, there's a Type Moon panel, there's a Grand Blue's got something. uh, Yeah, there's there's, going to be a lot, like, that's um, Idea Factory. So um, by the time you're listening to this, there might be announcements from Anime Expo that uh, we haven't covered yet. So we'll get to those next week. But we are recording from the past, so we don't know. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of the microphone. Uh, so going into July, of course, probably the biggest game, the headliner on our radar for our site's purview is the most recent English entry in the Trails series, Kaseki series, and that is Trails into Reverie. Now, one of the reasons we brought George Yang on the podcast today is because George reviewed this game for, correct me if I'm wrong, you reviewed this for IGN? Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. And I am currently in the process of reviewing it for RPG site. At the time I speak now, I haven't written the review yet. I'm about 80% of the way through the game. So the embargo just uh, raised a couple days ago, so we're free to talk about it. The release is, is it the 7th, the 6th? It's in about a week. Uh, so mm-hmm. 
we are it's one of the you know nowadays it feels like like for Final Fantasy 16 or for most games the embargo if you're lucky is a day or two before release so actually a week before release is pretty rare um so this is the rare case where we can speak openly about a game even though it's not quite released yet so since you are our guest george um i'll just kind of let you kind of take the take the reins here at least starting out so trails into reverie of course this is a pretty deep entry into a very long running series and that's going to kind of color our conversation around this game and how we how we talk about it how we review it etc um what like going you going into this game i'm gonna make some assumptions i assume you've played most of the other entries in the trail series but i i I just don't know like when you go into this game what what is your history your expectation yeah so i actually started with um cold steel back in like 2015 when it was localized i yeah so cold steel was the first one i started with and and then i played those went back to trails in the sky and then played um zero and azure when they came out um recently um yeah i played those and then now i played um reverie basically played them all beforehand no 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 missing spots nope nope i i feel like that's a pretty uh that's probably a pretty typical like yeah. uh, avenue that people have gone if they played right. the first console release for mm-hmm. Cold Steel and then kind of went backwards. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, yeah, so I I played all those and then jumped into Reverie. Now, can I ask a question? As probably the only person in this podcast who's behind on this series. How dare you? As I understand it, Reverie is basically, it's almost like a conclusion not only to the Cold Steel series, but to the uh, Crossbell duo as well. Yes. So I, the way I understand it is like someone like me who has to catch up, definitely, definitely play the Crossbell games first. Yes. Yeah. So I, wanna, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, so... So clearly, uh, this series, as it has released in English, has been a long kind of twisty-turvy road. And where can you start? Is this a good entry to start with? Has been a kind of a repeated answer. And depending on the context, depending on the player, it's had kind of a few major answers. Like, obviously, you can start at the beginning, Trails in the Sky. Trails of Cold Steel is a decent starting point. Trails from Zero is a decent starting point, because those are kind of like the the sub-arcs, or whatever you want to call them. And I'm the sort of person where, like, if you want to start a story mid route, you and you just you on you go into it knowing that if you want to start at Cold Steel three, you can. However, if there is a game in this long series that is the least appropriate to start with, unfortunately, it is probably Trails into Reverie. I don't uh, know what you're talking about. The Japanese title is Hajimari no Kiseki, and if you uh, translate that, it's like Trails into the Beginning or Trails of the Beginning. You know, so uh, it's right there in the title. So Adam Adam has it right. This is basically the kind of concluding entry slash, I assume, bridge entry into the Kuro games, which, of course, I don't have experience with. Most of us here in the Western you know, hemisphere don't. But because the English releases were kind of in an order that they were, obviously, the most the two most recent English releases are the two Crossbell games. When you go into Reverie, the very first arc in Reverie is takes place in Crossbell with that cast. So it actually, in a way, kind of feels really natural to go from Trails to Azure into Trails into Reverie, or sorry, Trails to Azure into Trails into Reverie. Uh, my The order that I played these, just to 
bounce off George is that I I skipped the Crossbell games because they weren't localized, right? Um, I played Cold Steel three, and that's when those that's when they really start to meld together. I'm like, all right, I'm missing information here. I really got to play the Crossbell game, so I played it with the GeoFront translation before going into Cold Steel four. Of course, soon after the GeoFront translation of Azure came out, that's when the formal localization, official localization was announced. So I actually have not played the official localizations, only the, the fan translation one, but because it was based off the same work from GeoFront, I'm kind of saying that that was, you know, suitable or acceptable. So, but it sounds like uh, everyone here, except for Adam, has all the necessary components to, to play through Reverie. So I guess to tee George up again, George, um, where does, where does, We'll start at a high level and then we'll kind of drill in. So this is a long running series that people have different marks for which ones are favorite or least favorite. When you reviewed Reverie, like did it rank high on your list of, of entries in the game? Low in the middle? Like what's what's your yeah. what's been your favorite entry so far and where does Reverie rank? So my personal favorite out of all the games I've played, um I, I really enjoyed Cold Steel Three. Mm -hmm. Um as well as Trails to Azure, and also uh, Trails in the Sky third chapter. Mm -hmm. um, I would say Reverie is among the top. Um, so, so Cold Steel 3, Azure, Sky third chapter, and Reverie would be probably my favorites um, among the Trails, uh, Trails games. And then I, I would say that, like, technically you could start at Cold Steel 3. I can understand why. You would say that because that's when, you know, as you said, that, that that's when kind of all of the other subseries kind of converge. But then if you don't play Cold Steel 1 and 2, then you don't really have the context behind, you know, Reen when he's the instructor in Cold Steel 3, right? Mm -hmm. You can skip I you can skip the Sky series uh, the Sky series because they don't really have too much of an impact on Reverie, but you know, characters like Estelle and Josh are are in are in Reverie, um, so it's it's worth it if you have time. But, but you know, if you really want to get caught up quickly, then you can skip those. And while I would recommend playing Cold Steel one and two, technically you can um, start with three and then go into four Cold Steel four and then the Crossbell duology and then go into Reverie. Uh, um, I I would say that like also. Cold Steel 4 isn't great. It's good. I think it's good, but it's not great. Um, I agreed with uh, James on his... I, I think he reviewed Cold Steel 4. Yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of sad that James isn't here to talk about this, but oh well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James is critical I mean, we, we talked about Cold Steel 4 to death on this podcast. To the yeah, point that probably, yeah. probably listeners are sick of it. Of us All right. about <laughs> yeah, yeah, we always complain about everything we talk about. So, so George, yeah, we uh, James did not talk, did not think highly of Cold Steel Four. Mm -hmm. I I also played Cold Steel Four was the most recent game that I played before Reverie, and yeah. I do think that Reverie does fix some of the issues that Cold Steel Four had. Not all of them. I still think that Reverie's cast is way too big, mm -hmm. and you might say like, well, what's the problem with the big cast? Who cares? I think it makes mm -hmm. just the game less interesting to play through sometimes. But let's talk about positives first. Cold Steel 4, right. of course, being the fourth entry of that subseries, has 
it has a lot of escalation. The stakes are yeah. so damn high and almost to an, like a ludicrous extent where I almost don't feel like tethered to the story anymore. Reverie, right. despite being attached to those events, and we're, we're going to have to speak about the story a little bit generically, just unfortunately, that's right, just right. Like the nature the nature of the beast. Um, right. The stakes are a little bit lower, and that actually makes me kind of adhere to it a little bit more. I feel like mm -hmm. I actually can like empathize with like the characters and the motivations at this point, because right. it's you're not talking about like millennia old, you know, curses and legends and, you know, characters themselves that are hundreds of years old. For the most part, it, it's happening in the now. The the antagonists are a little bit more well defined. Uh, for the most part, I have a few more comments there, uh, and it, it feels more like a an extension or an, or an epilogue rather than another tier of escalation, which I, which is where Cold Steel Four I think kind of lost me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I I think in in contrast to Cold Steel Four, Reverie is a lot more focused. Mm -hmm. Um. In, in its plot and its characters, which I really, really appreciated, especially with the Reen. You know, Reen and Cold Steel 4, he, you know, he was just kind of all over the place. But I think Reverie redeems him as a character by giving, um, you know, giving him a much more, a much more, like, streamlined and focused uh, route as opposed to how he was portrayed in Cold Steel 4. So I really like that part. So yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Reen, but they do, uh, Hajimari or Reverie does one thing that I thought was a little bit strange is that, so Reen, of course, by the time of the events of Cold Steel 4, he is a very well-known character who has a lot of notches on his belt. But in some ways, he's still treated like this up-and-coming plucky whelp <laughs> in a bit, which... Mm. I, I kind of appreciate it to some extent because it minimizes the Gary's do aspect, but there's also sometimes like, come on, do you know who I am? A, a little bit. Uh, I personally mm. like Lloyd a little bit more, even though those two characters are quite, they're quite similar um, in terms of their personality and how other people behave around them. Uh, but I do, I do think I just like Lloyd a little bit more. Um, and in terms of focused games, you went over some of your favorite games in the series. Mine, I think, mm. is actually Trails from Zero. Which is like the opposite of Cold Steel 4 or Hajimari in terms of like scale and escalation, where it's like you get these four characters and the story is based on them. And I just really love that level of focus. So unfortunately, Reverie doesn't have that exactly, but because it kind of splits it and we'll talk about the, one of the main aspects of this game is the uh, eloquently translated Trails to Walk system. I don't know what it was called in Japanese, but in English, it's called Trails to Walk. This is the way that the story is divided amongst three characters, and there are three different groups. So there is Lloyd and his group, primarily based on the Crossbell characters, Reen and his group, primarily based on the Erebonian Cold Steel characters, and then this enigmatic Masked Sea and their group. And of course, that's one of the big hooks of you know the marketing of this of this game is who is C? Who are these people? Um, and because of that, even though Reverie still has, in my opinion, quite an unwieldy cast, it deploys it a little bit more efficiently, where you're you're not dealing with all 41 characters at once. You're dealing with a fraction of them, with the exception of a certain other gameplay mechanic. But what, how did you think about the route system? Because obviously that's unique to this game so far in the series. Yeah, um, the route series, I think, was... Pretty pretty well used. It was a great way to divide up the characters evenly. Um, yeah, and I think every character got 
got uh, their time in the limelight, especially especially like uh, Class Seven with Reen. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of the character, uh, like a lot of Class Seven was pretty evenly split between um, Reen and Lloyd, and then also I, I can't remember if any of the Class Seven joined joined C or not, but I think Class Seven being such, such a large group. Um, each individual member was dispersed well between the three routes, and I think because of the of that structure, I think the pacing was also really great because because you're forced to to switch perspectives, right? right? And so that keeps the I think the narrative you know fresh and exciting. You know, and you don't have to play as like one single character the entire time. So I really appreciated the the kind of approach that Reverie took with with the uh, three routes. And my only my only drawback of that or the route system, well, not really a drawback, but so the route system, the trails to walk system, allows you to switch uh, past a point in the story early on. It allows you to switch perspective kind of whenever you want, but of course, if you play to a certain point far enough, it kind of forces it. And because there will be times where they kind of overlap and the narrative needs both parties essentially to be in the same place, narratively, mm-hmm. narrowly speaking, so that you can like toggle back and forth between them. And then you'll you'll see some encounters from multiple perspectives. It's, it works kind of like the way you'd expect. But I, I kind of found that I was like, all right, I'm at a new chapter. I'm just going to play Lloyd's route until it forces me to shift. Then I'm going to play Reen's route until it forces me to shift. And then I'm going to play C's route until it forces me to shift. And I just didn't find myself switching manually that often because there's really not a lot of incentive to but i still just appreciated the the change in perspective yeah. in in general even if the even, even if it was just like tailored for me even if i never had a choice in how to switch i i still think that the multiple perspectives is a smart way to deal with such a big cast yeah i i did it pretty much the same thing as you i played until i was forced to switch paths <laughs> mm-hmm. as for this i actually appreciate a little bit less story focused, more gameplay focused. I actually, I think that generally speaking, the Trails combat system is pretty good. One issue that the uh, series sometimes falls into, though, is where like some character abilities are just like almost like like ridiculously overpowered, like relative to others. And there's so many characters, so I imagine it's sometimes hard to balance. You know the gameplay, the characters, the combat, and whatnot. But one thing I really like about Trails Third is that that game I think has like twenty characters, which felt it's, like a lot of time. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's fifteen. I remember at the time oh, thinking it's... like, "Damn, fifteen characters!" And a few of them are kind of like cameos, like you get Muller for the first time and Richard and Third. Josette. Josette, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, then I, one yeah. thing I like about Third is I felt like the game was uh, really well balanced like every character is useful except there's that even even she's sort of useful um but like i felt like that game was just like you know one of the things i liked about it was you know mix and matching the party and the, all the different skills and abilities and kind of forming my own team and group and then later on in that game you split the party up and i i thought some of those like just mechanical things were cool uh you mentioned before that reverie has a ton of characters i was reading reviews and a lot of reviews mentioned that like the combat in this game is maybe the most polished in the series to this point. So I guess my broad question is, is how do you feel about like 
just the gameplay elements of it. So basically, um, Cold Steel 3's combat was very, I think, overpowered. Because um, that's when they first introduced orders. And oh, then yeah. I think when they and then when when they went to Cold Steel 4, Falcon was like, okay, we need, to, we need to scale back on how powerful the orders are. And then so they did that. And then with Reverie, I think they struck a bit of a balance be- between the two. Um, except they introduced the United Fronts mechanic. And I feel like that's, that kind of makes it a little more overpowered. It is than, overpowered. That's know, right. the, oh, people yeah, don't know, yeah. what, what is this mechanic? So, okay, so, so basically, um, United Fronts is basically a beefed-up version of the whole burst all-out attack thing. You know, the all-out attack is when, you know, it's kind of like Persona, right? When, when your four characters rush in to do some extra damage to the enemy, with United Fronts, it's basically the same thing, except it's all the characters. It's the four on the battlefield, as well as the one in your reserve party. Um, and with United Fronts, you actually have the option to specify whether you want to do a United Front on attack, a United Front on magic attacks, or a or like a United Front support attack, which is like like healing your entire party and stuff. And United Fronts uses a different meter, uh, a different meter than the BP system that you know uh, that the orders and the rush attacks use. They use this. They use a charge gauge, which is what you typically use to get an advantage on enemies on the field. Like, you break the little boxes, and then they pop out little glowy balls, and you collect them, and charges their meter. Um, so, actually, the United Fronts gives, like, a extra incentive to hit those boxes out in the field, which is really nice. But, um, yeah, so the United Fronts, I feel like it's really overpowered compared to, you know, compared to relatively everything else um but but other than that that's like really the biggest change um i think reverie has and in terms of overpowered characters i think reen is by far the most overpowered character like gameplay wise he he, he's just too good (laughs) he's there's never a game that he's not overpowered as a guy that Right, guide over. It's like, it's like this is your most OP character. Just forget about it. Yeah, Chow's guide strategies. It's like, uh, just use Reen or Josh or whoever, and use our strongest yeah. attack. Well, the <laughs> thing is, is, ever since the PSP games, like a lot of the same strategies still work. You can still do like the one accessory that gives you extra CP gain, the one accessory that gives you auto CP gain. Then yep. you can then you can spam S crafts. You can give yourself an orbment that is like the first craft that you do per battle is double damage. And then you can have yep. like a master yep. quartz that is every time you defeat enemy, you get more CP back. Yep. Then you add this united front, which basically hits all enemies on the field. Also, it's mm-hmm. it's easy, at least on the normal or hard difficulty. I'm sure if you played this on nightmare first run, you'd actually have to be a little bit more. Um, uh, discerning but like my basic strategy is i go into a battle i use reen has a very basic order that just costs one bp for plus 25 percent damage so just might as well do that you almost always have one bp then if you um have an assault gauge which you can have an orbit that has it auto fill up when you walk you can do a union attack what's it called i forget what it's called uh united assault and then you can that gives you even more CP and a strength boost and hits all the enemies. Then you do an S craft, and then by then chances are the battle's done. And you just repeat that over and over. <laughs> yeah. So 
I, well, I'll put it th- I have one question for you guys. Do you guys ever yeah. use the break exploit back in Cold Steel 3? The one where you break the enemy, use the thing to accelerate your turn, then break the enemy yeah, again. Yeah, well, yeah I it was Sarah's order. I don't remember. I yes, I was just about to mention, I use Sarah's order a bunch. It was like really very easy. They nerfed it in four where her order okay. is like it only lasts one turn. So you can you can still like if you time it up perfectly, it's still powerful, but it's not obscene. Um, and I will say so on a harder difficulty, I'm sure it's you can utilize a lot of these mechanics a little bit more interestingly. But because you have these um, assault orders that hit basically everything on the field and then, of course, the S crafts that hit basically everything on the field. um and you have access to high tier magic right away, which hits basically everything on the field. Like positioning is far less important than it has been in other games, just because you're starting at like level 100 because these characters are like, you know, veterans that have seen all the shit up and down. Um, so I do think that in a way the combat has gotten a little bit less interesting just due to the escalation. Uh, to me, uh, like Hajimari's combat doesn't really get interesting until like post game bosses. Until... Right. Yeah, because th- those are more designed in a more interesting manner to counter a lot of okay. like, you know, popular strategies. Uh, I'll reveal a secret. I have not fully beaten this game. I keep getting sidetracked, but I did <laughs> play a bit of it. I feel like, I think the, all the combat's main focus is in the Reverie Corridor, was it? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. uh, that, 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 that's where it gets interesting, combat wise for me. So for the Reverie Corridor, um, so this is a mechanic of the game where partway through the story, the different characters are teleported to this strange location that looks it's it's basically we i don't know how do i describe this in game it's described like literally as being similar ish to phantasma which is the location of trails three and yeah, then the river, the like, corridor think about it Go they, ahead. Do, do they actually bring up phantasma yeah the they do were there. yeah oh. <laughs> and, and it's and think about it like for people who play trails in the third like uh or tra- trails the third like it's sort of like that hub section that uh that you you explore around to to it, it functions in a similar manner to that like that so, what was it called that's like the tower of the phantasma thing i think it's just called phantasma but yeah okay. it's same yeah. same sort of thing but then the reverie corridor was like a post-game dungeon in cold steel uh, two one one of those ones but this is kind of different because it's semi-procedurally generated it has like um so how this works is you have a hub area and eventually you have the entire cast is available at this point. And how the game kind of narratively works that is that when the cast goes into the Reverie Corridor, they have like, this is a bit strange, but it's how it works. They have like short-term memory loss. They're like, why am I here? I don't know. I guess we better fight shit. And then when they go back to where they were in the story, they're like, where was I? I don't remember. Oh, well. And I'm sure like near the end of the game, I haven't quite gotten there yet. I think I have one more chapter four to go through. And then I have like a final chapter. So I'm, I've seen like 80% of the story. So I'm assuming it'll like loop back in before it's all said and done. But that's how they kind of describe this like little arcadey mode that you can opt into at any point. You pull up the trails to walk menu, but but instead of picking any individual route, you pick the Reverie Corridor, which is where you can just kind of grind and do all the stuff. So that's when you go into the place. And because it pools all the characters, you go into the menu. And I literally said, like, all right, let me see how many characters I have. And I counted left to right. And I haven't unlocked them all yet. And I had 41. I'm like, all right, I've got 41 characters. You Only pick, 41? Yeah, okay. You, you can, you right. can pick, and I hadn't unlocked a few. Like, I've unlocked a few since then. And... Like George will understand that like it's like the 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 final playable roster of this game is like obscene. It's like too much for RPG. Well, once you add the gotcha character, yeah, yeah, yeah we haven't talked about the gotcha yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is, but... there is, there is gotcha. Um, 
So the one thing about the multiple characters, first of all, at that point, you kind of don't have a lot of different play styles. Like a lot of the characters occupy kind of the same role. And it's pretty much just the roles are almost completely set by whichever master force they have. So you can kind of like trade those around or whatever. So you can kind of not not 100%, but you can almost have anyone fill any role. But one thing that the game does that I can understand why they do it, but it kind of takes away some of the gameplay is because there are 41 characters to like gear up. What the Reverie Corridor does is that you can find and or buy and or upgrade specific armor and boots. So there's two armor slots. There's your armor and then there's your boots. Then you got your accessories. You will unlock not only armors and boots, but weapons that will specifically say these boots are for Usus only. These boots are for Reen only. This shirt is for Tio only. This weapon is for Juna only. And so you have a whole slate of weapons where you just buy them and equip them on the one character that they can use. And it's it kind of takes a lot of the decision making away from you if you just want to like gear up a single character. Like, all right, I want to use uh I want to use Kurt. Let me just go to the store and buy his weapon because he's got one bespokely assigned to him. Oh, I want to use Fee. I'm gonna, you know, use a use a boots specifically assigned to her. And I'm like, I guess that's one way to make it so that gearing up 40 characters isn't so daunting. But it also I, I, means that you just kind of like go with what the game tells you. For I, don't the most part. This, I, I don't know if this I don't know if this has changed with the localized English version or if there's any quality of life patches down the line for for uh, Reverie. But like when I played it like around launch time in Japan, like it was straight up one of the worst menuing in a JRPG I've ever done. Because every time that like, you swap to a new party, it would obviously take out all their equipment. You have to like re-equip them pretty much and uh, make it basically the way you wanted to. And you have to do this almost like ad infinitum uh, like uh, when you're going through the game because you're, you're constantly switching up parties and you have to re-equip them the way that you like to you know get them geared up for the next challenge and uh, I don't and think so you forth. Can do that here I, so, I, 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 don't, yeah. I have a silly answer to this you know what my answer okay. is so because there are so many characters that are dropping in and in and out of your party past the point I just I didn't bother to equip accessories unless I was struggling with a boss fight because I just didn't want to like go into the menu and say, oh, Risha joined me. May- better make sure she has some accessories. Oh, whoever joined me better make yeah, sure but she that, has like, stuff. But that, but, that, but that becomes important in like higher difficulties when you're playing in higher difficulties, right? So yeah. like when you're when you're when you're playing this game and you're and you have to pay mind to like difficulty stuff, you know, when when actually like itemizing or equipping your characters with like proper equipment to make their builds work. Like if that when when that's important when you have to factor that in, it is one of the most like frustrating RPGs to play when it comes to menuing. Because... I don't think that the accessories were unequipping once I did equip them, so I that might have been patched out because I would equip like obviously like Lloyd and Rain with good accessories, and I never had to like when the party switched re reset them. So I okay, yeah. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if they they actually like patched that, that out. That, or, that sounds or, terrible. Or it, it was god awful. I'm, like, I'm I, just, yeah, I, 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 I like the game, but like it's like in my my first impression was like this is the worst menuing, one of the worst menuing experiences I've ever done in an RPG. It's just yeah. Oh. yeah, I I never had to switch any accessories or anything like that. So okay. Interesting. So that's uh, that's cool if they actually like improved upon that. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. uh, that was a major flaw when I, when I first played it. And some some of the menuing is just a consequence of having forty plus characters. Like you go into this the shop that I was talking about, and because every character has their own set of boots, 
you just scroll down and down and like you're reading the tooltip to find where are where are Laura's boots? Here they are. And so or if you go into the party menu and you're trying to switch out, you like the, the four characters on the far left are the ones in your active party. Right. And if you want to switch them out, you just got to scroll past all the artwork all the way to the right, you know, 30, 40 times. Oh, there's the person I want to swap in. So some of it is just a consequence of you have so many characters, you're going to have lists that are 40 entries long. That's how it is. But going to the positives, I, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see what George thinks about this. So the Reverie Corridor, how it works is it has different like tiers, different floors that are unlocked mm-hmm. as you go through the story. And the floors are semi-random. You'll go through and it's like it's almost dungeon crawler-esque where the, the, the map will reveal itself as you as you traverse it. You'll fight a, a set of monsters. Uh, some of these monsters are like identified as being mini bosses and they'll drop these things called I forget if they're called spheres or orbs in the game, but they're called stones, I think. Stones. They're they're basically the spherical colored objects that you that you'll want to gather and bring back to the to the hub. And you'll go through and once you once you clear a floor, you go back to your hub, and you can there there is an option at the center of the hub to basically regenerate the map. So you choose when the map's regenerated, then you can go in again, and there'll be a different layout. You can regrab the chests and get more spheres. So some of these spheres or orbs or stones are fixed, where they'll give you. Um, you talked about the gotcha characters, so you'll you'll unlock characters that otherwise weren't introduced to the story. Basically, the story will kind of hand wave like, oh, so and so, like for instance, minor character here, Toval, the bracer from Cold Steel Two. Uh, now he's in the corridor. You can use him to you can use him now, um, and things like that. You can also get like these generic silver orbs that basically give you new orbments, new equipment, new. Uh, new um costume pieces things like that where you'll have very very typical where you can have a single one or you can do them in batches of 10 they're ranked from like rare to super rare to ultra rare so it looks very much like a like a gotcha currency i I guess guess to really really clarify this like there's no like microtransactions to like buy this currency to grow the gotcha more yeah you you just obtain it in game so Mm. yeah Yeah, so it's 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 like xeno 2 in terms of blades <laughs> kind of were you saying something chow yeah yeah i was gonna say it's like i wish this was like real life you know i wish i could re-roll by saving my game before i do my rolls <laughs> yeah you could save your game and just do and just do that so. yeah you can do that so what are your thoughts on the reverie corridor just in general um i think it's fine i think i think when it's first there like when you're first introduced to it, it feels kind of out of place compared to the rest of the game. Um, but once you get into the post game and you clear all of the like the other court, uh, the other floors in the in the red recorder, it actually gives you like a more story context into why it's there. Um, so I think in that sense, uh, it fits better once you once you know why it's there. And um and you know I, I'm happy that it actually has a post game. <laughs> yeah, me too. I I I was like for me that's what the game like shines as post game. Mm-hmm. Um, like it has like the most interesting gameplay scenarios there. I think um actually I I wonder with the release of this in in uh, English do they do they do they already have like the like the story DLC like in the launch version of this game or is that coming later because like there's like there's like a story centric. Mm-hmm. DLC that's like a visual novel that you know that that's kind of a direct link to like the next arc in the trail series. I was wondering if they had it there at day one 
Or the uh, scheme, or is that coming later? I I haven't seen it, but I also haven't gotten credits. I yet. think <laughs> it's I, I think it's in the game. Um, I'm I'm trying not to spoil anything. Yeah, yeah. It, but, it's, it's, it's like a Rean-centric focused like scenario. It's kind of like a VN. Something happens, but like, but I, I, but I'm not sure. It's like a, it's like a small thing. Uh huh. So, well, like, well, people will figure it out, and when it, the, the game launches, hey, the okay. game is long, and I haven't got to the end yet. <laughs> but yeah, so it does. It does remind me of. I really like Trails, uh, the third Trails in the Sky, the third, and it does give me a little bit of that Phantasma feel, which I do kind of like the dungeon crawly, build craft, um, aspect to it. And the other thing that I didn't talk about is that you have these. Uh, so in the other games, you have these, I believe they're either class points or AP points. I forget exactly mm-hmm. the acronym for when you're when you're taking on your like field studies and find, and undertaking the brace request or whatever, depending on the game, you get ranked and then graded at the end of every chapter. And then you it tears up and you get you get rewards for being a completionist and following Chow's guides, etc. Uh, and this game. There is a little bit of that in the story, but a lot of it is tied to the Reverie Corridor. We'll have, they call them master missions and then mini missions. And these missions can range anywhere from like complete half the bestiary, bestiary, um, complete the fishing log, cook 15 unique dishes, uh, clear the first floor of the corridor. And then you'll have mini missions, which are basically like have Yuna do a union assault or have a fee do a start a burst combo or things like that. And these will give you this game's version of those points, which are now RP reverie points and you'll tear them up that way. So it's kind of like the same system, but slightly repackaged to interface with the corridor. And then you also get this new currency to, to spend on upgrades where it like extends the, the reach of your burst meter from starting, I believe at five and up to eight, uh, the amount of assault gauge pips you have starting at two up to four or five. So it has like a little bit of like resource progression, which is kind of fun to like, if you, if you're like sort of person that likes grinding uh, or even just like progressing, you can dive into the reverie corridor. You have obviously a million party members to choose from if you want to change up who you're playing with. And then there's like the other games have the trial chests. So trust that you had to bring certain characters to, to fight a kind of like a mini a micro boss in order to open that's now incorporated into the reverie corridor as a trial door. Um, a lot of the mini games like vantage master and the, the, the puzzle game from the, from the crossbow games, pom pom or whatever is now in there as well. So the reverie corridor is kind of just like a fun little playground to just kind of mess around with either in the combat or like the mini games. Uh, and there's usually like one thing that's kind of fun is that it gives you incentive to do like, a lot of the mini games I've never touched before. Like, there's a mini game where you go to a beach and you have to like do some Paper Mario esque like button input mini games to like cut open a watermelon with the different characters. And I actually spent time doing that because every time that you do reminds it for the first... me, like there, there when this game came out on PlayStation Four, there was a PlayStation VR component to it. Did you guys try out like any of those out? Like, because uh, I know there's there's like a VR component to this game. I think so, that's not in the uh, review version. Okay. Yeah, it's not in All the right. review version, and I don't have a VR headset. On my How about you, George? Do you, have, do you have a VR? Uh, I do have a VR, but I didn't know there was this. <laughs> okay, so yeah, maybe maybe like it'll come later. It, I, I'm not, it's not it's not 
it's very fan service focused. Let's yeah. Say, so, so one, 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 yeah, <laughs> one of the one of the mini games, you go to the beach, and at the at the beach, you can do three things. You can do this like jet ski sort of mini game. You can do this watermelon slicing, or you can just do like the sit and chat with a female character, and you're in first person, and you can do that in VR. So you can still do it without VR. It's just mouse look with your with your mouse and keyboard because I'm playing it on PC, and of course, I couldn't try the VR option. It's yeah, you're not really immersed then. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I it didn't didn't fool me. So. Okay, all right. I I think um the, I I really want to know your perspectives on both the uh, Brian and George uh, in terms of like the, having these three separate narratives. Right, they're not all made equally. There are definitely pros and cons to each. Mm -hmm. I was I was really surprised when I was first playing this game because I really liked the the Crossbell crew, but for me like their side of the story was sort of the weakest for me narratively compared to Tareen and C's routes. So I'm interested to see where you're, you guys are landing on that so far. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. Um, C's, C's was the best. I love the chemistry yeah. between C that, and... That, that reminded me of, that, like, C's route reminded me of, like, Trails to Zero type of, like, yeah. squad yeah. Uh, yeah. building. Yeah, and then, um, and then I also agree with you that uh, Lloyd's route was definitely the weakest um because it was just kind of a it felt it felt like a retread of mm -hmm. the whole crossbell independence thing and like we like we, we went through two games of that right? right and for them to just basically do the whole thing again uh you know i i would have much preferred if you know the storyline focused on like you know the independence you know the the city achieved independence, and then now maybe Lloyd has to, you know, and 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 his party has to kind of deal maybe with like consequences or ramifications of mm -hmm. of 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 the independence. Which yeah, you know, be like achieving, yeah, achieving independence doesn't mean like it's like a happy ever after, you know. And like, yeah, obviously, uh, there, yeah, there will be consequences to that. Compelling than mm -hmm. just fighting for independence again. Right. So, so let me so let me tee this up a little bit. So at a very high level, because obviously anyone who is playing this game hopefully has played at least a few other entries and they kind of know what they're getting into. They, after the events of the Crossbell duology in Cold Steel 4, the start of this game, Crossbell is finally just about to be free, be independent, and it doesn't happen for, for reasons. Um, and and the, actually, this game quite, a, quite has a slow ramp in terms of the narrative, like escalation which i already kind of talked about there's this new faction called the ebon defense force they're basically just soldiers who are following some antagonist that want the war to continue they're basically just being stubborn and that's the antagonist for most of the first like three chapters you're not quite sure who is pulling the strings and why you're the player is kind of left in the dark and um, so C's group obviously introduces some new characters and it has a little bit of that perspective that is different from what we're used to. Reen's group kind of has a lot more of interfacing with the society because, of course, they're in play, um, revealing who the antagonists are, kind of uh, progressing the, the narrative. While Lloyd's is kind of like, well, this 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 evil faction, they're building these robots from or these 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 soldats from somewhere. Let's figure out like where they're building them, and it's it's just a little bit like limited scope. It's it's doesn't quite 
it feels like a little bit like a C story. It's like the C plot of a sitcom or whatever, which is which is unfortunate because that's probably like my favorite cast is the Geofront, not Geofront, the um Crossbell cast. But they're they're kind of given like the least important things to do, at least so far where I'm at. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that early on, I kind of wish like there are there are far fewer antagonists in play during the story. And you the the game kind of fleshes out that by having you fight a lot of large monsters or I'll just say like imposters. Uh, so I, I kind of spent the first like one or two chapters of this game wishing I had kind of a real antagonist because you're kind of left like, who are we fighting? I don't know who's pulling the strings. And eventually in chapter three and four, you get some of that. But it's 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 a, it's a slow ramp. You you spend a lot of time fighting these Evan Defense Force just mooks for for a good while and wondering like who are they following, and you don't really know. <laughs> so like uh, so obviously you know you have a lot of returning characters. I've been you know talking about like you know um, there are some new ones like on top of like this already like crazy amount of cast members. But 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 Caesar out like just basically like you know initial impressions. I've seen no spoilers. Like, what do you think about uh, C himself and then these new characters, Swin, Nadia, and Lapis? Like, that's kind of the core group uh, you're given. Like, uh, like for me, like I can't. It's hard for me to separate. Like, you know, what I think about this group because Swin and Nadia, you know, do return in the future arc of of Trails. So I kind of uh, have a more deeper understanding of like, you know, where they eventually go uh, with with this story, but. Um, just, you know, just what, what, what do you guys think of them? I guess I'll take this first. Um, first of all, I did, uh, Sin and Nadia are, I guess they're like introduced in Cold Steel 4 in one of the in-game books. So I went, I went back and kind of reread that. Uh, three and nine. Yep, uh, three and nine. You got anything else? Not Charles, it's like just three and nine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's the name of the in-game book. It's three and nine. Um, they... I guess it's hard to judge. They kind of feel right now like extras. Um, but knowing that they'll make like, I'm not surprised that they'll, that they have a presence in the future. Cause who doesn't in this series? Uh, so they have an interesting chemistry. I will say that Nadia has a very, very similar vibe to Ren and the game, like explicitly winks and says, yep, aren't these two similar? So I almost kind of like when, when the character kind of feels like a has been, done already i i'm a little bit less attached lapis i was a little bit surprised lapis is the small uh the small character with the you know monochromatic eyes or what is it um heterochromia so she is in the front facing of the marketing of the game and like i thought that she was going to be like this important worldly uh character and she might end up still being that but early on she doesn't quite know like what she is or why she is and she's actually quite a minor character for the first several bits of the game the game is very heavily implying that her importance is more than she currently knows but you spend like the first four out of five chapters not uh lapis is not not that important which i which was kind of i think the story works for it but it was a surprise to me because i thought she was going to be like immediately important as soon as she was introduced but she really quite isn't um which kind of surprised me. What were your thoughts on the characters, George? Um, I I really I really do like um, Lapis. I thought I, I you know it's obviously hinted that her importance in in the plot is more than you know meets the eye. Um, 
but I think I think that maybe her I think the I think the whole realization about her importance kind of came a bit too fast because it was kind of like an info dump when when everything was kind of a real uh, reveal but overall i really did like I, I really did like lapis um as a character i think she played it's, all the it's, other it's, it's, it's a pretty weird premise off of the get-go right because like at yeah. the start of c's story like you sort of meet lapis because she's like in a i think she was in a briefcase yeah. i remember correctly like, like c just kind of stumbles upon her go from there it's like what in the world is going on yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so odd and then in like chapter two or three, you go to a specific place to try to unlock her memories. And it explicitly says, like, did you remember anything? Not much. And like, it doesn't really like reveal a whole lot. Like, oh, I thought I thought I was going to get a big, a big re- revelation. And I, I think it's I feel like I'm right before the final chapter. So I know that the, I know it's coming, but it just I thought it was going to happen at a certain point in the story. Like it's teed up and then it just kind of doesn't I'm like, oh. Okay, maybe I have to wait a little longer. But just uh, so those three, Swin and Nadia and Lapis, all have very distinct personalities and play off each other really well. And they're all like, they're all young. I think they're like 16, 15. And Lapis is obviously nine-ish if you were to assign her an age. Uh, And then like C is like, they're like, they're like parents. Babysitter. It's kind of fun. Like it's yeah. like C and it's like trio of, of children that are following him around. It's kind of fun. Just the, the dynamic is interesting. So I, I know that you've completed the game, George. Like I know I if I remember correctly, at the end of Reverie, there's like one final cutscene that actually shows off the new engine that the, obviously Falcom has been doing uh doing for the uh Corona Kiseki games and now they're coming east east 10 uh, Nordics. Like yeah, uh, what what did, what do you think about like the like the seeing like the old engine and now like in contrast to the new engine? Like, did you notice that like there's like a that did, was the graphical shift like um like noticeable to you right away? It's like oh, this looks different when you got to that cutscene. Are you talking about the very end? The yeah, very end, yeah. It was like it was like it was like in, like in a field of like grass, I think. Ah, uh, um, I I actually didn't notice it right away. I should probably mm-hmm. look at it again. Um, yeah. Huh. That, yeah, that was that, that was one of the weird things that like they they teased like at when they, this was coming out in Japan. It's like, oh yeah, we have like a small like a a small showcase or sample of the new engine graphical engine that we're working with uh, in this game, and that's where it occurs at the very end. Uh, I'll be I'll be honest. I did watch that like when it was revealed in Japan. So at the time, I had no idea who the character was. But um, I will say that even on the old engine, uh, Hajimari does some more interesting things with the animations and the other games, but not very frequently. So there's like some scenes where people are animating and like, like it's in one of the trailers where Noel Seeker like rides her motorcycle into like a burning building to save Lloyd. And it's stuff that I don't think was done very frequently in the other games um, where they used a lot more like canned animations and things like that. So they did did a little bit more mocap. So even though on the old engine, it doesn't compare to the new. They did the, they did a few more interesting things um, with that. Yeah, the choreography oh, yeah. is more, more dynamic for sure. Like I, I, I always think about like like the scene that always sticks out of my mind is like the worst of like this engine that they work on. It's like remember that uh scene near the end of uh, Trails of Cold Steel Four when like everyone's out fighting the battlefield mm-hmm. uh, there and like it would, like just the pan over that battlefield scene was just like so dull and like uninspiring because there's a, a lot of canned animations of like hits that don't really feel impactful it was like it was like puppets like 
kind of ramming mm. into each other almost. Like compared to like uh, the Reverie here, like you have a lot, a lot more like there's a lot more craft to like the way cutscenes are mm-hmm. are presented in this game. It's no Final Fantasy 16, but it's I mean, <laughs> what is right? Yeah, uh, I the only thing I haven't talked about yet, I guess, is like localization or English voice acting. So I can't, of course, speak to um like the translation, but I can just speak to like the performances. I do think that like people, whenever Nice publishes anything, Nice America, people are wondering, is this going to be on the good end or the bad end of the spectrum? Because they are, they're all over the place. They're scattershot. Uh, I haven't noticed much of anything in some of the unvoiced dialogues. I've seen a few typos. Like I saw one where they put for when they meant from. So like the, the, it read a little bit weird, but all the voice dialogue, I haven't noticed any like stiff translations all the characters have a very specific manner of speaking like like lector will say like raging hard on and then uh they use phrases like that altina speaks very formally uh, ash will say like things like tight and like drop the consonant at the ends of his words like that's how he speaks so i do think that i don't know i don't know how faithful or accurate that is but in terms of giving the localization like it's not stiff. It's like the characters feel like like even even when the lines aren't voiced, you can kind of read them in the character's voice because they are designed in a in a way that I feel think feels appropriate. I will say though that less of this game is voice acted than I thought it would be. So you'll have you'll have a scene where none of the voice lines are acted. It's all just text. And then when you get to like a very critical line, voices will just immediately jump in for about three lines. Because it really wants to make sure that you that you get this piece of information down. We'll voice act these three lines, and then it goes back to just text again. So it's very kind of sporadic in that way, which I'm like, oh, that's a bit strange. Um, that's I think you know, one and two were like that, but then when they when XC localized those, they actually added a bunch of voice lines. That I was actually wondering that. Like I remember, I forget which Cold Steel was that just one and two the X seed games? I think it was just X seeds. Yeah. yeah. So I think and, so and, and ma- even then, like 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 Chao, like it has uh, and I have been I've have talked about this before. Like in some instances, like the localization is somewhat better than the original Japanese here because there's there's more flavor and personality. Like like Reen in Japanese is a much more plain character than like Reen in English, for example. He has because... no personality in the Japanese trust. Okay, I was gonna say like um was it the English version actually has more voice dialogue than the than Japanese version in Reverie as well. Apparently, people in Reddit has confirmed that oh. they did more voice line huh. than the than the Japanese version. So, if you find like it, this is already like jarring in the Japanese version. People say like one line and then they don't say the rest. You know, that's yeah, that's, like, a, like, that's a Japanese problem. Like I said, that was that I know that was the case for Cold Steel One and Two, and I know Exceed. They literally advertised, "Hey, we have more voiced English dialogue than there is Japanese dialogue." Um, I don't think NAS America said anything about that, but maybe they did a similar thing where they just voiced more here and there. Um, and there was also another thing. Didn't they didn't really replace some of the voice actresses because they were like, they found maybe they were more suitable to certain roles. Like, uh, for example, in the English version for uh, for Cold Steel 2, uh, Rishia makes an appearance in there, and she was voiced by Erica Mendes. But later on, they had her voicing uh, Ellie from from Azure and Zero. And because she was more suitable playing that character, so now Rishi has a new voice in in Reverie. So there's all those kind of like little minor changes too in the English I, version now. I know a lot of the voices changed with Cold Steel Four. I don't know if there are additional changes between Four and Reverie. I'm sure some have because you can't always get everyone back. 
well, at least in English, sometimes it's harder to. Um, I know I, um, the original voice for uh, Milium was Ashley Birch. And they changed it in three. And I actually think the new voice is better, personally. I know Laura's voice I changed. I don't even remember, a few I don't others remember did. the new voice actress's name. But Yeah. There, there was a few cases where I don't know this, but like even Reen sounded a little bit different, but it's still Sean Chiplock. So I don't know if it's just the recording is different. Maybe they did different setups because of COVID. I don't know when these records would have been ha when would have been done. Uh, so there's some voices that to me just sounded different, but maybe that's just me having not having heard the characters in a while. Um, and no, then no, like, like when was Fee was say. talking, Fee's like voice sounds a little bit more airy, like like maybe like her setup wasn't quite as good. So it's this is very minor stuff, but it's just for some reason I'm I'm trying to convince myself like does that sound like a different character? Then I look it up, it's like nope, it's the same voice actor. Maybe the voice actors or actress's voice just shifted a little bit. You know, it's been a while. Who knows? I was gonna say like you know like when it comes to like voice actor performances, um. Back then, people keep complaining about Trails to Zero and Trails to Azure's Lloyd's Japanese voice and how he sounds way too high-pitched in Azure for some reason when he sounds exactly the same to me. I don't know what people were talking about. They said that he sounds way more high-pitched than he was in, than his Zero counterpart. Huh. Oh. But people make these kind of complaints, and I can't freaking tell. It's like, he sounds more high-pitched? I feel he sounds the same. It's like... They didn't voice... They didn't dub, excuse me, the Crossbell games, right? No, right. they did not. Which I think, it, that, I think that's a sensible decision. They were just kind of playing catch up, like we can't. <laughs> so. That's why I, I had to give a lot of credit to his English VA because he sound like he he has done this role like for who knows how long. Even though he only did, I know it's the same English voice as Goro uh, from Persona Five, right? Ray, Raymond. Catchy. Oh, Raymond. Ray, Robbie Damon. Okay. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, they you know they have like the same VA in a lot of mediums. Like you know, you they see have... that you see that occasionally where. Um, a certain English voice will end up replacing, like dubbing a lot of the same Japanese seiyu roles because obviously they have like a similar enough register or whatnot. Because, uh, for example, they both voice uh, Prompto, mm -hmm. you know, from Final Fantasy 15. Uh, Japanese version, same thing. It's like same Prompto, you know, it's, it just seems that way. You know? I know uh, Erica Mendez has done a bunch of Magumi Han characters. Mm. So, yeah, things like that. For so, Lloyd's Japanese voice, because of course uh, that's all you get in the crossbow games. I still like how you go uh, Lloyd's S craft that you spam over and over again is Rising Sun, and yeah. I'm not going to emulate it here, but the Japanese voice actor has a pretty uh, signature way of of yelling Rising Sun or whatever. And then of <laughs> course the English voice is different. It's not any worse or better, but it's like oh, that's not what I'm used to. <laughs> I'm used to the <laughs> Japanese voice doing it. Uh, then eventually no, but, you upgraded to something different. So whatever. I, I was gonna say the thing that makes me like recognize Lloyd's voice the most in the Japanese version is, is the one where he has the shock factor. Like when there's a fancier scene, he goes ah, oh, you know, or something like that, where he breaks down. Yeah, this this reverie unfortunately has some of the, a lot of the same hijinks that are kind of. You know, part of the series now in terms of. I, I, I'm trying to remember. Isn't like the game introducing? If you were playing Lloyd's Route, I'm trying to remember with the arch, with, with the arc and cell stage play. Isn't it the game starts with with Ilya telling that Risha's size is growing bigger? Is that how yeah, the game starts? That's that's Ilya's character. It's true to her character in Azure, and yeah, Risha's first like three scenes all have someone compliment or comment on her figure. And I was like rolling my eyes pretty significantly. But however, it does 
after that, like the initial couple scenes, it does pull back. I was like expecting to see it once per chapter, but it, it kind of goes away. So they kind of indulge in it early on and then it kind of goes away. So thankfully, but, but that's, that's I, how like, 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 here's me. Here's me. Like, just like figuratively be like, just wait till Kuro one, Brian. Oh, just did, did, I would say, do they double down? Do they triple down? I, I won't say anything else. Oh, okay. <laughs> Obviously, Risha, Risha uh, appears in Kuro one. That's all I'm gonna say. And, yeah, because like, know. yeah, yeah, Risha's dancing, and Ilya comments on her figure. Then she puts on her her Yin outfit, and uh, Wazi comments on her figure, and then you go into an air duct, and of course, that the every single Cold Steel game has that interaction in some place. And just, eh, you roll your eyes and move on. Whatever. <laughs> Alright, guys, I have a PS5 now. It's time to buy a PSVR for Trails into Reverie. I don't know if that actually works, uh, to, to be honest, because don't, don't you need to have like a whole complicated setup to make a PSVR 1 work on PS5? It's like even more complicated than PS4. Oh, wait, so I get fucked over by having yeah. PS5? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I guess the... You might, you, might be, you might be cooked there. I guess the listeners uh, get... Pre-warned not to get VR. Well, I think we yeah, kind of covered... big, big selling point. <laughs> so I think we kind of covered our bases forever. We talked about the where the game ranks amongst the series. We talked about the gameplay additions. We talked about just how it feels to play with the addition of the Reverie Corridor. We kind of talked about the narrative to the extent that we really can in in a game that's positioned as this one is. I will say I'll just repeat that if you if if you're like following the series as you release in English and the last two games that you've played are the crossbow duology, it feels actually very natural to go from that to this game. So it really I guess does... I will also, I'll also say for people who like are interested in any of these games, right? Like I say, don't feel pressured to like skip things. If you want to like, like it's like, it's like a marathon, like, uh, like it, like take it slow. These games aren't going to go anywhere. Not that they released in English. It's like, if you want to start from the very beginning, there's nothing wrong with just starting from the very beginning. You know, it's, you don't have to feel the like don't don't feel the rush of like oh like to get uh caught up asap i have to go skip this arc or this arc or this game it's like just take it as it comes and experience it the, the way you want in your own way but i for me like if if you're gonna if you're determined to play these games like from the start then do it from the start don't be like i'll skip this arc at this arc. it's kind of like almost reading like jojo's bizarre adventure right like mm. it, it's kinda, just take it at your own pace they're not gonna go anywhere just if you want to start a specific game, that's fine. But if you want to start at the very beginning, don't feel be like, oh, I have to go skip arc one, you know, just to get caught up ASAP. It's like it, the, the the whole journey it feels good when like you're just like when you when you're learning things as they originally came out in the way that like the devs kind of intended um, from the start. Because to me, that feels more meaningful instead of like it, instead of like skipping like arc one. And then you go into arc two and then they keep making references to arc one and you're like, just, it just totally flies over your head. It's like, okay, then what's the point then, mm. right? Plus the crossbow games are excellent. So you should play them anyway. I mean, the sky games are excellent. Yeah. And the crossbow <laughs> and the, and the cold seal games, they're, they're good. Like even the worst <laughs> trails game, in my opinion, are still a good seven out of 10 game. In my opinion. They're, still, they're still fun video games to play, but uh, narratively they can kind of collapse and fall on their face, but like, they're still fun games to play. Uh, I know. I know we love to rag on like certain games for, <laughs> but you know, it's like, it, it's still decently fun, you know, in like gameplay mechanically wise. It's just like when the stories, when a game is known for its overarching story, and it shits the bed, it kind of like defeats the purpose of what the whole entire franchise is building up upon. That's how I look at it. And that's why I always give it a hard time. But like, like fun this, you know, it's it's not too bad, really. 
All right, George, uh, the, the, give us your final thoughts on like, well, like, you know, coming out of Reverie, like, uh, what, what did you like, what do you feel good about? And what, what weren't you, what weren't you so, so hot on? And like, what do you hope for, like, for the future of the series moving forward? Uh, yeah. As you're, um, uh, finish? Yeah, I thought, I thought Reverie was a great send off. Um, they, they really did not have to do Reverie. Honestly, when, when you look at the overall story, um, Again, you know, I agree with your point that Lloyd's route is the weakest, um, but it also has the unfortunate um, thing of of actually being kind of like the overall plot mm-hmm. of Reverie, which it, is yeah, it's kind of like like the, the the plot the main plot branches because of what happens in Lloyd's route. Right, right, right. So, 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 in my opinion, Reverie, like the story, Reverie didn't necessarily even have, have to happen. Um, but I'm glad that it did, especially, okay, so no spoilers, but I really like how the, the, the main antagonist kind of came about, you know, I really like the link it had with the, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm being really general with this, but I really like how the main antagonist had the link with Cold Steel 4. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, I thought that was... That pretty i i think that was pretty creative and you know i really like that part of it um it's one of those things of like 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 it's hard for me to like because there, there's something that will like make it make more sense if you do a specific thing in cold steel for but even if you say that it's kind of like revealing its hand a little bit too right yeah, like, yeah. But it's like you, you understand what i mean but it's like how do i convey this without split it's like by its very nature you can't do that because of the way it's presented too yeah but, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, um, and, you know, at the Reverie, I'm pretty excited for, for, you know, Kiro no Kiseki, you know, if it does get localized, I'm pretty sure it will. You I, know, it I will. hope that, I hope that, you know, Nisa announces it sometime soon. Um, yeah. And also, also, probably worth mentioning real quick, sorry, that yeah. NIS America has kind of already announced Kiro no Kiseki, uh, in that, uh, they released a PC version in Japan done by Durante. MPH. Yeah. Just yeah. Like, huh, it's why would you do that? Soft thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's, it's definitely more of a given. And it's just like, hey, they already have the base work for the PC port like, already well, lined up. If you don't even count that, I mean, their Falcons like, Twitter basically said, uh, English version incoming later. <laughs> basically, oh, I forgot about that. You, yeah, I think yeah, it that basically seals funny. the deal that's coming. Like be something unexpected, like NAS America did the port, but Clouded Leopard does the translation or something. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> we can't we can't we can't get into that uh, territory. It, it, it becomes... Yeah, I mean like in any case, you know, I'm I'm still waiting for like an official an- announcement. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it, it'll come sooner rather than later. Um but yeah, I'm really excited to see how, how uh Kuro Kiro come uh Kiro you know, turns out to be, especially because they they switched up the battle system a little bit, and uh, oh, yeah. also thank God no Marine because I, I'm just tired of him. <laughs> no, I think it, yeah, Kuro has a really cool uh, battle system. I, I think people will be surprised. Yeah. Like, it, like it, it seems weird at first of like combining like like action into like turn based yeah. and like switching back and forth. Like it's uh, it sounds weird on paper, but in action, it actually works pretty well and yeah, pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I played and... like the first <laughs> chapter of Kuro, and I was so impressed by it. I I actually love it. It actually like brought <laughs> brought me back to the franchise after being disillusioned with four or Cold Steel four. So 
yeah, yeah. That's how, yeah. I, that's so, how I looked at it. Yeah, so I think um I think Reverie did redeem Reen in my eyes, but you know, I, I'm I, I'm glad to have a somewhat new slate going forward with Kiro. And also I do want to say I do want to say one thing. I wanna I, I wanna plug something in here for a second. Go for so it. um you know all your trail fans um I noticed I noticed a lot of the tweets and comments on my trails review are like oh my god IGN finally reviewed a trails game yes okay the IGN finally reviewed a trails game and that was me and if you would like to have more trails game reviewed on IGN please click the review watch the video because um that shows my editor you know at IGN that there is interest in in the trails games right so, so yeah all the and numbers so, behind the scenes. Yeah. So, you know, click click the article, click the review, click the video, watch it, you know, make sure make sure, you know, uh it gets as much exposure as it as it yeah. does, because that increases the chance of future uh trail reviews. And also I think I, I think it ha- I think the timing of release also factored in, in factored into it because um June late June really didn't have any releases. Like if it released in the beginning of June when when there was like Street Fighter and Diablo and all that shit, it, it, there, there's a chance that IGN wouldn't have taken it, you know. Mm-hmm. But since it, since it since it since um the embargo was in late June and the game came out comes out in early July, you know, as you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, there's like a bit of a lull in July, right? right. So so I think its release release date really also played a factor into it um but again it all comes down to the internal numbers um so if you want to see more reviews um for trails on ign um especially with like kiro if it ever comes out um hell maybe even boundless trails if well that's september september is pretty busy so i don't know if ign will take it but i'll try (laughs) but um but uh yeah if, if you do want more trails reviews on ign or any of the major outlets Make sure to click it, read it, watch the video to show to show the editor that there is interest and the numbers back it up. Yeah, and you know, and, and like the, the general spread of reviews for Reverie have been generally been very positive. Like a lot mm-hmm. of outlets seem to like it. But yeah, ec- excellent work on the review for Thank IGN, you. George. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, very very cool to see that. But you also did another review. It was also for our site this time around. Yeah. So we have this uh, Master Detective Archives Rain Code. Um, this is kind of the next uh, big game coming out from Tokyo Games, uh, from you know some of the big uh, creative minds behind both the Danganronpa series, but also from the Zero Escape series as well. Uh, tell us what what is this Master Detective Archives Raincode? Yeah, so basically it is a um, it's a yeah, so it's a it's a mystery de- a mystery. Um, adventure game it takes place in a city called kanai ward which experiences never-ending rain and basically the the protagonist his name is uh kuma koko uh, uh yuma koko head and he goes to kanai ward in order to um solve a what's called the like the world's greatest mystery right and mm-hmm. It takes a lot of cues from Danganronpa, as you can tell by its art style. Um, it, it also borrows a lot of um, gameplay mechanics, uh, like it. Well, 
borrow is a bit of a weird word. It kind of repurposes a lot of the mini games from Danganronpa, like the uh, like a sword rebuttal thing. That's yeah, so yeah, so look, like to, to back it up, like for people who don't know Danganronpa, Danganronpa was uh, sort of like this uh, like mystery sort of like escape game. Like uh, like uh, usually there was like a whole uh, generally the structure of Danganronpa was like someone gets killed, so you find the body, you try to find out who's the killer. So you kind of go around uh, like finding clues around, and then it it uh, it all all convenes into like this trial phase of the game where you kind of uh, talk amongst your peers and discuss who could have done the murder of this, and a lot of like the the like sort of like trial mechanics come into play. Like like well, like that's kind of the funny thing about the Danganronpa games is outside of like like the over top like character personalities coming into it, it's like a lot of like uh, deducing the truth. And like who could have uh, a big who done it situation on the mister on on the murders on each like chapter of the game. So uh, like how does uh, Raincode uh, sort of compare contrast? Like does Raincode have a similar structure where there's like a, a, a murder that happens at the beginning of each chapter, or is there just like a yeah. general like a case or mystery? Yeah, yeah. So so there so the structure is very similar. Um, basically, each chapter there's a there's a murder victim, and Yuma has to investigate the crime scene. Um, to kind of figure out what happens, and uh, and basically he gets he he always gets caught in like sticky situations. Um, so so basically the the big bad um, of the of the game is the Amaterasu Corporation, which ascent which is a huge corporation, and they uh, they basically have a stranglehold on Kanai Ward, um, and so basically you know. There's like this big, deep, deep kind of dark secret behind Kanai Ward, and Amaterasu Corporation has some involvement in it. And basically, when Yuma starts, you know, his investigations, um, again, uh, Amaterasu kind of links back to it. And and it's only when it's only it's only when Yuma gets caught in a sticky situation, like you know, Amaterasu's. Uh, military force kind of you know points guns at at yuma oh, okay. right yeah and and so basically what what ends up happening is that you know yuma gets cornered and he he has this he has this ghost companion and her name is shinigami mm-hmm. basically what she can do is that she can stop time right and and she can open a portal to what's called the mystery labyrinth, which is a physical manifestation of the crime or mystery itself, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so and and so then when Yuma and Shinigami go into that separate dimension, time stops, and in and then in and then in the mystery labyrinth, that's where they solve the actual mystery, right? Um, Shinigami takes all the evidence and turns them into what are called solution blades. Which is what Yuma um, puts into his uh, his uh, sorry they're called solution keys right he puts the solution keys into his solution blade which is where kind of like that gameplay comes in right it, yeah so how 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 this is like visually represented the game is sort of like kind of like guilty crown tales of arise type like like he pulls the blade out of like Shinigami's like because she has like no. a human form and like and, yeah, yeah. and he pulls the blade out of like her body. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. yeah. So basically, she. Uh, so what Yuma does is he pulls the blade out of her body. You know. Ki- you know. Kind of like. <laughs> kind of like tales of her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but, but it's more fan service. Uh, okay. 
more fan service kind of way. Um, but yeah, so basically when you go into the, the main gameplay is that you have the, you have like this little mini boss, right? And um, the, the mini boss keeps shouting words at you and like the words come at you. And then depending on what solution key that you use, you have to pick the proper solution key, right? And then, and then hit the correct phrase that contradicts what the boss is saying. Okay. So, like, leading up to this mystery labyrinth, I know, like, like the, the way you kind of get around this game is fundamentally different than Danganronpa, because in yeah. Rain Code, you have, like, this 3D overworld that you can, like, I don't know how fully explorable it is, like, it's small zone, but I, I know you yeah. can run around in it, and I'm not sure, like, during this phase, before you enter the mystery labyrinth from Kanai Ward, like, are you, like, yeah. kind of, like, going around finding clues and evidence like, by talking to people first? Yes, yeah, so, so basically, um, the game is like fully animated, fully 3D. You can you can walk around the different zones in Kanai Ward. Okay. Um, like like it's fully it's you it's fully uh, traversal. You can you know walk up walk up steps. You can you know go you know stuff like that. Um, and then when you investigate crime scenes, you know you walk around the room to investigate investigate crime scenes. Okay, that kind of thing. And, yeah, and right, then, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then and when then, you Wait, go, go on, finish your thought. Yeah, yeah. So, but when you go into the mystery labyrinth, it's still 3D, but the but like the way it goes through the labyrinth is pretty linear. Okay. Um, so you kind of just go into like a straight line most of the time as you go through the labyrinth, and then and then you no know, Shinigami will be like, oh, here are three, here are like three different paths, you know, and then Shinigami will take her scythe. And um, slit slit Yuma's throat. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then like blood pours out, right? And uh-huh. then the blood, and and then the blood splatter will form a question, right? The question will be like, oh, um, you know, for example, was was the was the crime scene was it a murder or a suicide? And then Yuma has to pick which door to go through, like oh, murder or suicide, right? And then that, and that'll have a correct answer based on like the the investigation that you did beforehand. So you should know by that point whether yes. it was uh, okay. Got it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the that's where kind of like, like the mystery labyrinth is kind of linear and in um in the process. You have to you you have to pick the correct clues to to kind of go through the whole the whole labyrinth. Yeah. Uh, so uh does, like, does it follow that uh, uh, Rabba's aesthetic in terms of, like, you know, obviously the character designs are very mm-hmm. identical, same character designer, but, like, like say when Shinigami slits uh, Yuma's throat, like, is the blood pink, like, in Danganronpa? Um, so the blood, so the blood is pink in the game, but for the specific, for the specific scene that you're talking about, um, when, when Shinigami slits Yuma's throat, um, it turns black and white. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah right. But the blood is pink, uh, like Danganronpa. Yeah. All right. Um, that's the when you know in Danganronpa, a lot of like the personalities were defined where like they were the best at something, right? Like this character was like the best gamer. This character was like the best athlete. Does this yeah, game yeah. also have like a like a similar sort of like trope where like characters in it are like have, are really good at something that defines their trope or or their personality? Agree, yeah. Yeah, so so it's 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 less about personality, but each of um okay, so so basically Yuma Yuma's other detectives, his his 
detective posse. They're they're mm-hmm. also part of the role detective organization, like he is. You know, okay. Yuma is a trainee, but his but his other colleagues are full fledged role you know detectives, and they each have something called a forte, which is a special power, right? Um, you know, one of them is one of them is like a, this very like confident, very logical, very confident, very smart girl. Um, her her forte is that she is that she can see crime scenes in the past. Okay. And um, but but the limitation of her power is um, is that she can only she can only see it from the point of view from the first person who witnessed the crime scene. Interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah. So. Yeah, so so there's like limitation in power, and um and and the way the gameplay is structured, um with so each chapter, right? So so there's four, there's, so there's four uh, colleagues of 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 humans, right? And so there's four chapters. So as you can kind of guess, each chapter focuses on one of their powers, and the way that the powers are integrated within the investigation is actually really is actually pretty creative. So in the first chapter, when you're when you're with um, when you're with the girl, um, she you know she she's able to see the the crime scene in the past, and then you can investigate the crime scene because Yuma's Yuma's um, power is coalescence, which means he can share the power with someone else. So he so he he kind of do, doesn't have a power of his own, but it's more like but, a vessel to, to enable to yeah. like more like an enabler. Exactly. So, so if he holds hands with the person with the forte, he can share the same power, right? Okay. So, so when he holds the girl's hand, then he can use that same uh, time travel power to see the crime scene in the past, right? And then through that mechanic, you can investigate what happens because in the in, because in the first case, the the previous crimes took place like three to six months ago, so that's how you piece together the story, right? And then mm-hmm. you know. Another character, um, his his character, uh, his name is Desu Hiko. Uh, his forte is that he can create perfect disguises of other people, you know, right down to their the the pitch and their mannerisms. And so the second case is like you have to infiltrate a school, and the and then the person who gets murdered, you know, all the other students are kind of like accusing each other of. Mm-hmm of like oh who done it right and they're also not on the best terms with each other right but like the different suspects there's this kind of like a uh, feud going on right and so what you might have to do is put on different disguises to talk to the different people because right so like you know oh, that's fine. yeah 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 so 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 you have to put on different disguises to to kind of pry evidence from it's sort, of like, it's sort of like hitman almost yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So so I think the way the fortes are implemented in a game in a from a gameplay pr- perspective are um really creative and I think yeah, probably one of the best parts of the game. Yeah, I mean you rated it really highly on the site and like like even I was like, oh wow, that really like caught me off guard. Yeah. That's really cool to see. A uh, l- like, little uh uh, I guess background information. I even said to him, "Like, are you sure you want to go with the nine? What about an eight? And he's like, "No, we're doing a nine. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like tell us a little bit, like, why, like, why do you like what, what really uh, made you go for that nine? And like, really, like, was like, no, this has to be a nine. Yeah. Um, I think the overall story 
is is really good. Mm-hmm. And and I really like the character development that Yuma goes through. So basically, um, it kind of tests his it tests his resolve to be a um to be a detective because the thing with the mystery labyrinth all right the 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 fallout and the consequences of using that is that whoever is the culprit it dies at the end oh okay so so yuma is that so yuma every time he solves a case and he figures out who the murder who who the murderer murderer is um, he has he he has blood on his hands, right? Yeah, because, but, there, but there's like there's like definitely like game over scenarios. Like if you if you guess the wrong culprit, like I assume there'll be like a, a game over, and you have to like kind of rewind back to like a save point, right? Um, just... yeah, you get like a game over screen if you fail, um, and then it kind of takes you back to like the the last checkpoint. Okay, uh, are there, are there like a, any like branching or are like bad endings or multiple endings uh-huh. type scenarios? There's there might be one at the very end, um, but I haven't. But I, I didn't go back to that part. I'm pretty okay. sure I picked the right ending. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so essentially, um, essentially, when Yuma solves the case, he has you know he the the culprit essentially has to die because that is Shinigami's job. Shinigami is the death god, right? right. And um, and at the very beginning of the game, Yuma and um, Shinigami made a pact. Um, in 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 return for Yuma's memories, um, Shinigami grants him, you know, the ability to use the mystery labyrinth. But you know, so Yuma's also kind of like this amnesiac kind of character. Um, but but yeah, so Yuma has to deal with the fallout and the consequences of using the mystery labyrinth, right? And and there are cases later on in the game where where Yuma can actually, Yuma actually sympathizes with the culprit, right? right? He can understand why the culprit decided to murder uh, wh- whoever they did, right? And he questions himself. It's like, should I really be doing this, right? And it's right. like, you're pretty much not capital punishment. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I was, yeah. I was gonna make a comment like, this is just you could go, you have, you could have a wider conversation about this if you want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so it's like, well, even if it is the truth, you know, is it, you know, how will it affect others? Is it like, you know, do, do I do I want to ignore what's right in front of me just because it's convenient? That kind of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that that's a pretty interesting like dilemma that that uh like the premise that you that you put forth and like kind of like all the sort of yeah, sort of like the reasoning behind things like that like that makes for uh like uh, there's but there's definitely potential and i can see like oh okay like depending on how they stick the landing and like for you definitely it did like uh there could be oh, something yeah. here yeah yeah i think it I, I think the game really stuck the landing and and also it's like it's a beautiful game like i love the art direction mm-hmm. um and and my god the soundtrack soundtrack is amazing i love mm. the soundtrack the, the 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 only the only real pain points i had with the game is that um, it, it looks it looks a little murky in handheld mode, um, but you know that's that's just the switch for you. Yeah, so <laughs> um, so it's real switch exclusive. You don't know if we're gonna port it, you know, eventually or not. We don't know yet. Like they they've been they've been pretty they've been pretty adamant saying no, there's only for the switch. The, uh, yeah, and the uh, uh, the um, the load time can be a little long. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. And, and then there's also like this kind of weird lull in chapter three where, you know, I, I, I talked about how the, I, I thought the forte powers were well imp- implemented. Um, the only exception to that is chapter three, where I felt like it wasn't as integrated well enough. So basically this one girl has, um, has the ability to turn back time mm-hmm. by like a few minutes. Right. Right. Um, which is a which is an interesting power, but the way they implemented it is just like it's just a bunch of quick time events, right? So so like if you fail a quick time event, you know, uh her name is Fabuki, right? So Fabuki would just turn back time, right? And then I think you, I think you redo the QTE. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's just like kind of uncreative. <laughs> that's like, fascinating. That's, yeah, I I think there's yeah I didn't know text like we we've we've seen a lot of this game like you know the, in the months prior and I just didn't know what to what to think of it like I I guess what describe the kind of uh, person that like would like be really interested in this game because like uh, like for me I I like mystery games like detective games like but I've never yeah. played I've never played Danganronpa everything like even though I, I came into here and I described a lot of Danganronpa I will admit I have never played a Danganronpa game never. this is a lot of like hearsay I don't, I don't really have a strong desire to like play Danganronpa for one reason or another for me but yeah. for me it's like this seems interesting would that would this game still be for me if I like these sorts of like mystery detective games I think you'll like it if you do like mystery detective games but I also do think that it's an extra treat for fans of Danganronpa because like stylistically and mechanically they're so similar mm-hmm. um but I, I do think that you should give it a try um it, it I mean like if you like games like you know um AI like, yeah like, I, I like AI I, I like Ace Attorney I, I, I yeah. like uh, like Nosia like yeah yeah so yeah I, I think if you like those games definitely give Raincoat a shot Okay. All right. Yeah, because I've been on the fence. It's like I don't know if I should get it. I don't know if I should. And then like I just I, I didn't know to, what to think. But uh, it it was nice like being able to like you know have a sit down, have a conversation with someone that like you mm-hmm. know completed it uh, from front to back. Uh, I know that the like recently they they showed off like a DLC schedule for this game, with, like additional cases. Does the base game like end like feel conclusive, or does it feel like the, the do you feel like it will it will need that DLC? To like mm-hmm. make it feel like a like a like a complete game. Yeah, um, it's it's a very very complete game. I think everyone has satisfying character arc endings. Um, I, I feel like the very final scene hints at maybe a possible sequel, but even if there isn't one, I think I I, I still think it kind of comes to like a definitive end. I don't think that DS, DLC is entirely necessary. Um, and I read up on the details of the of the of the DLC, and it focuses on it doesn't really focus on Yuma um, specifically, but more of like his role detective colleagues. Like you know, Desuhiko has his own has his you know own separate story DLC where you play as him instead of Yuma, right? Oh, okay. Um, okay. But, but like, but like if you but like if you play, you know. Um, the game, and you get to the you know Desuhiko focus chapter. Like you know, he he's a well he, he's a he's a well you know ri- well written character, um, and the DLC only kind of serves to expand that, right? Okay. So even without the DLC, I think it's still a. I, I definitely do think it's a complete game. It, it it it's longer than I thought it was. Actually, it took. Oh well, like yeah. How long did it take for you? 
I'm trying to think. Um, I think at least like some people were okay. So some people on like some reviewers on the internet when I when they were talking about the game length, they said like 45 hours, which doesn't sound right. I think it's more like 30 ish, maybe. Like no, no one will know until like the like for a week from now when the when Nintendo will display on your profile how long you've been playing it. <laughs> uh, who knows? Like it, like they have that uh, gameplay or timer thing for the Switch, but it only displays like after a week. Right. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize. So. I didn't realize there was a delay on that. Yeah, because because I'll say like 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 I think if you if you try to access it in the first week, it's like oh you played a lot of it or like you played it recently or something, but it won't give you a number until like a week. Huh. Um, yeah. All right. Like, uh, obviously, anyone else? Like, if you have any questions or comments about the game, like, butt in. Like, I know I've been trying to. I was actually going to butt in right when you said, like, hey, like, I've never played Duncan Rampa. Is this what? Is this a game I should jump into? And like, I, I had assumed that you had played it. So you, so I, you, I, like, you, I, like, a lot of what he says, like, very like curious, like, 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 kind of like fuzzy memories of like, like, like seeing people play it, see friends play it, and like, well, like. I was working off of like very fuzzy, like kind of like remembering what Dagon Rapa was. Yeah. So, so uh, if I, I did a good job convincing you that I played it, then I get yay me. I think <laughs> good job. I think I played the first game and I kind of dropped it around mm-hmm. like halfway through. I just wasn't <laughs> really into it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay, but we yeah. got a lot of like dedicated fan base here. I think the third one even got like, was a perfect score in our site, I think. Okay, well, the, like a, a lot of like the reviews of Danganronpa on our site were like when like, we were still like a, a fan, like a fan site, right? So like a lot of it was kind of very enthusiast uh, writing around that era before like the the game, like the site became like quote unquote professional. Like Adam, you have more insight on this than I do <laughs> on explaining it. But that, yeah, I don't know. Like whenever we talk to Alex about it, he's like he always shakes his head about the Danganronpa reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, by the way, I I just I just checked my switch. Um, the playtime it says thirty five hours or more. So okay. I think, so, so I, I think you can probably freely you know safely estimate mm, thirty five to forty hours. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's that's pretty meaty for sure. Yeah, it, is is that is that more or less like is this like is that more than the average of a Danganronpa game? Uh, I I would probably say so. And 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 here's the thing. I think the reason why I didn't notice time, you know, the notice how much time I was spending into it is because I was really into it. Yeah, you're just so, enjoying it. You're like, you're just vibing. You're like, I don't care about how long I'm, I'm taking yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, 35. So, 35, I would say 35 to 40 would be a safe bet. Cool. Cool. And, and were, you, uh, were you playing on English or Japanese voices for this one? Uh, uh, English. Yeah. And how is that? How are the English performances in it? Uh, pretty good. I like it. Um, yeah. So I, I personally love Shinigami's um performance. Uh, because she has like okay, so Shinigami has she she's like the she has the craziness of like Monokuma mm-hmm. with like a dash of like of like the craziness of um Junko from Danganronpa. Okay. So she's but but she's very mischievous. Um, she, she's very mischievous. She's very sarcastic. Um, it's like like she's just a very fun. She's a very she, she's fun. Like, yeah. She's like a very like you know like a, like kind of like a bubbly character, flirtatious, and like mm-hmm. and generally just like like uh, like uh, someone who will liven up the scene and like uh, and that since that's your sidekick, it, it seems like you know 
any scene can be, potentially be like fun when like she's interjects into it. Pretty so much, yeah. Like so, pretty much reads life into a scene, which seems you know well suited for that kind of game. Yeah, so it's like a very like you know she contrasts with Yuma, right? So so Yuma kind of freaks out at crime scenes. You know he, he you know being kind of inexperienced and a trainee, he's not used to like seeing corpses and dead bodies, right? So like the very first like mystery when when Yuma comes across like the victim, right? He like he he understandably gets freaked out, but Shinigami is right there being like, "Oh my god, a corpse!" Yes, you know that kind of thing. So when you start yeah. talking about the character, I wanted to see who the English voice actress was. Not someone I'm familiar with, Anjali Kunapaneni. Uh, so she's done, uh, let's see, Karen and Fina Pirate Princess. Uh, it's a lot, not a lot of things that I've seen. I, I was I was going to try to pull like a, another name, but I, I just don't have any. I'm I know I have those I, sort of like fresh roles. Yeah. That like don't sound like every other character or whatever. You know, it's like oh. Oh here, uh, a million times. Shu Shang and Hong Kai Star Rail. There you oh, go. The, the, all right, Chow. That is your time. Does oh, he play Hong Kai in English? Voices? Uh, I I watch English sometimes. I oh, think the best thing, sometimes. yeah. Also, I think the best thing they have in English is uh, Asta's voice. I think she also, has the best voice. Dory in Genshin Impact. So also for Chow. Oh no, she's gonna Asa. sing her money song all day. Oh dang! I don't know. Is, she is she is she is Azaria Frost in Legend of Heroes Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel Northern War. That anime that we all watched to completion. <laughs> I, I studied. I studied. I don't know. The first thing you heard about that anime is that quote. Wait, it is painfully it? lower than mid. That was the. No, like, no yeah, wait, 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 wait. This, this, George, this reminds me. George, were you going to say something? Wait, was the anime good? No, no. I, I heard it was not. <laughs> it, it has been a universally no. <laughs> Okay, all right. Well, that sucks. Well, if you have time, if you want to really do some investigative digging, then, you know, feel free. But I, 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 watch a few, I, I watched like five or six episodes and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to keep on going. <laughs> don't worry. I got someone in my comment section in my Azure guide saying that I need to watch. I, it's like I need to beat this game for research into the anime. Oh, boy. UK. <laughs> But to be um, positive, it sounds like uh, Anjali did a great job uh, yeah, voicing Shinigami. Yeah, of course. In, yeah. In code, so. yeah. Yeah. But uh, obviously, you know, the, the metrics are super important here on RPG site. If you want to see more reviews <laughs> from George about this kind of game, you know, the, the, the numbers are really important. You got to click on every screenshot in the review. You got to share it with your friends. Make sure to have a co uh, comment on it. Like, we should make more reviews for our site, George. That, that, this is this is really cool. I was, to just, see I was just saying that George should watch the anime and then uh, pitch right. a review to Alex. We're gonna <laughs> do the anime stream pitch. We're gonna review. Yeah, it there you go. go. Yeah, start reviewing anime on the site. There you go, George. But I'm yeah, curious. Yeah. You you talked about how IGN. This is their. I, I don't know if you implied it was their first time covering anything from the series, or they just infrequently cover the series. Did you have to pitch the review, or did how did that come about in terms of getting uh? Hajimari reviewed on IGN. Yeah, so basically, um, I had to pitch it. Okay. Um, and so, okay, so basically, how how IGN works. Um, so my editor, the the review editor there, uh, Dan Stapleton, um, he he places a lot of emphasis on like the ROI of reviews, right? Um, because because you know IGN, you know, like every other site, 
um, you know, has limited budget, has limited editors, limited time. So as right. much as like we would love to cover everything, you know, some things have to fall by the wayside, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I had to pitch the review um, to IGN uh, for, you know, for the game, right? And um, when I look at, like, when I look at the reviews, I think the last Trails review they did was, like, Trails in, like, Trails in the Sky all the way back in, like, 2004. And I don't oh, think yeah. they, and I, I don't think they reviewed a Trails game since, right? <laughs> and so the way I pitched it to, um, to IGN, I was like, hey, so, you know, this is like, this game is like the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh -huh, it was like the end game, the, the Avengers. Yeah, so like, uh, yeah exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, like this is okay. like the end game, you know, kind of thing. And, and I, I think that's kind of what they, um, that's I was like, funny. okay. That's yeah, okay. I, yeah, okay. That's, that, that was a pretty smart analogy for you to, to get that through. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. And again, you know, if, if you want to see more trails, reviews on on ign um you know you gotta you gotta support it <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that's a, that's just the, that's just the way of the world especially for big big sites you know who are very that, that's kind of their their main stream of like how how will they know if people are interested if they, they're not interacting with it i also much. heard rumors that they were only offer 500 bucks to edit their trails wiki <laughs> but that's that's rumors but, are, are, are you, you going to write the, the Reverie uh, guides for IGN, Chow? Is that what you're saying? No way. They got to offer me more money than what other sites offer. I don't think they'll pay a lot. But yeah, I, and I, also I think behind the scenes, like um, there there are some there's some guide writing for uh, Raincode happening on the site with some staff members. So for people you know who who want some help with the game, I think there's uh, are some guide writers behind the scenes working on that. And of course, we appreciate any comments or feedback or inter interaction with our reviews. So do yeah. read George Yang's review of Trails into Reverie on over on IGN. I will also write a review. It will likely just kind of mirror the thoughts that I have stated here. Hopefully that'll be up probably by like Monday or Tuesday. Just got to get through the yeah. last chapter. Uh, well, and then again, uh, thank, you, thank you so much, George. Like great review on the Raincode uh, review for our site. Like thank you for taking yeah, the time, and energy and effort to do that. Right. So a little behind baseball here, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I told George he'd probably talk about each game for about a half hour. And here we are at like the hour and a half mark <laughs> into this podcast. So oop. So thank you for staying a little longer than I uh, initially slated, uh, George. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. But it, it depends on you, George. If you want to stay with us for like for the news section or if you got to dip out because there are other like, you know, you have other things to get to. It depends on I, you. I, there's not a lot of news, so maybe it won't take too long. Yeah, yeah, I can stick around for a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, have, so this new section is pretty quiet, which I'm okay with because, A, we've just come off a marathon of news from everywhere, like I stated. Plus, it sounds like uh, we're going to get a lot of stuff from Anime Expo and once we get James back next week. So well, I'll take I'll take a quiet news week. So most of today's uh, news posts are a few sales updates and just some dotting of some indie game release dates. Plus one major game had a release date shift. We'll go into that. So the only big announcement that I have listed here is that Guild Wars 2 did announce their next upcoming expansion for later in the summer. Guild Wars 2 Secrets of the Obscure will be launching on August 22nd. So this is about a year and a half after their last uh, expansion. They have their developer ArenaNet has moved to the like 
Elder Scrolls Online paradigm where they're going to be doing like a boxed, well, not a box, but a, a titled update roughly yearly. So as someone who plays this game regularly, I don't know what to expect. So the trailer for this expansion was honestly quite terrible. ArenaNet has always been terrible with trailers, but the content that they've put in their little blog posts and their news updates have actually seemed pretty, pretty interesting, um, mainly in the fact that the one thing that I know that Elder Scrolls Online has done pretty well is that it, unlike Final Fantasy 14 and unlike Guild Wars 2 up to this point, it's not like a linear story where you got to catch up on everything in order to get to expansion four. You can just start at expansion four once you get through the base game. So I think that's really kind of smart to try to get new players in instead of saying, hey, you got to catch up 300 hours before getting here. You can just say, hey, once you're max level, you can do this. So it'll be interesting to see if this like is a shot in the arm for the player base or anything like that. But be playing that in a couple months. Of course, it's coming out in an excellent time because nothing yeah. else is coming out in late August or early September. I, like, are you like, like ready for this expansion though? Like, are you are you looking forward to it? Like, uh, what, like, are you like at a at a stage of the game where you're like, yes, this is like, I once I'm ready to dive in. So this, this so this is yeah. Um, Guild Wars Two has a lot of horizontal progression, not vertical. So you don't have to worry about like being best in slot or being like a max level for most things. The the thing is for this one, it's. The, the last expansion kind of ended like the large story arc that has been basically the entire game till this point. So this is like introducing kind of like a whole new um, arc, kind of very similar to Final Fantasy 14, right? Even though I don't play that game, I guess Shadow yeah, has. But the current story like arc that, is over. And, yeah, after yeah. the Endwalker, you know, expansion. And they're, like and they're kind of building up the new one. And like, there's like, the, the, like the patch after Endwalker was like new journeys or new beginnings or something like what it was called. Yeah, they're setting up. They're setting up like a new story arc, and um, I'm not sure if this story arc is going to be concluded when the next patch comes out. And because I feel like it's just, it's like a whole kind of like a side story right now. I know some people might think it's a little bit bigger than that, but I feel it's a side story. And uh, the hints to set up the next story has already been laid, but it's It's not complete. But so Guild Wars 2 is like is kind of going for like that reset into a new arc. And, yeah. and, so, and some background that's quite interesting. So like 20 years ago, Guild Wars 1, the initial game from like 2007 or whatever, I guess that's not 20 years ago, but close. Um, there was a part in the game where you do a small quest and you would take out a cult. This is like a mid-game quest, nothing too exciting. And in the background, there's this like floating tower. You eventually learn that it's called the Wizard's Tower it's floating there. You don't know who owns it. You don't know how long it's been there. You don't know what's there. And that answer was never given. You never had an expansion set there. The sequel came out, Guild Wars 2. You never went there. It it was always just kind of like this. The world is bigger than the game. Like It was a part of the world building that you would never get to explore. And now here they are in 2023 saying, remember that Wizard's Tower from 2007? How about we go there? Of course you do. Yeah, of course you remember it. There's no way you forgot. I should mention, though, I should mention, though, so I I played like a tiny, tiny bit of Guild Wars 2, and I just decided I don't have time for it. But so Brian told me, like, um, this new expansion has the Wizard's Tower, and I did not remember the Wizard's Tower. Oh, I should mention I played Guild Wars One. I played a, I played pretty much all of it, um, and then I looked it up in the Guild Wars wiki, and it's like this is the tower shown in the quest called the Villainy of Galrath, and I remember that quest vividly. It's oh. like Brian said, it's a mid-game quest, but it's like 
honestly one of the harder quests in the game that most people have probably stumbled across if they play Guild Wars because it's it's not too deep. Most people will have reached that point. Um, so I'm like, oh, wow, this is like a follow-up to that quest from 18 years ago or whatever it was. So it's just like, I do remember the quest. I didn't specifically remember the tower in the quest. But... No, this sounds a lot like Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> uh, because like, in Final Fantasy XIV, it'll be like... It'll be like, oh yeah, do you remember this Crystal Tower quest that you did in the very first version of Final Fantasy XIV? Because you need to play this to understand Shadowbringers, and most people didn't do the quest, so now they made it mandatory to do it. So now you gotta play Guild Wars 1 to understand. There you go. Guild Wars 1 is still up, right? Yeah, it's 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 kind of in maintenance mode, but I don't say that with any like that. That's a term that's used kind of with negative connotation. Like apparently, it's just very financially easy for Arena Magic. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it, it's a veteran it's, of the space, you know. It's yeah. had its time, but you and, know, and, and, and you, yeah, you can play it. It's on Steam and Guild Wars Two is on Steam. the The main story th- premise here, for those I care, is that uh, everything in Guild Wars Two up till last year was all about Elder Dragons. Which is not that unique, but that was what it was. Which now is why it's the se- last expansion was called End of Dragons. All right, yeah. And then this new expansion seems like it's dealing with more uh, demons, and they call it, they don't call it hell in this game. They they're they, the realm is kind of called the mists. So you kind of have like the corporeal realm, and then you have the mists, which is kind of like a nebulous fantasy realm. And it's like demons are coming out of the mists. There's talk about like a sky islands using one of the mounts that you get is a dragon that flies. Uh, it's called the sky scale. Sounds like it's like, that's going to be incorporated into the expansion. So I don't know if it's going to be like, you're going into like a sky continent sort of area. So uh, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm excited half for what they've talked about. The expansion will be about, but also half just because it's a new paradigm. So what's it going to look like? Um, cause, the, cause it's going to be more bite size, right? But also the idea is, is that they'll release this this year, then they'll update it a few times throughout the winter, and then there'll be another one next year, and then so on and so forth, which has seemingly worked really well for like Elder Scrolls Online. So there's kind of like precedent in the space for it. So I'm eager, I'm excited, and we'll see uh, if they're ending up finding a good balance for... Because Guild Wars 2's biggest weakness so far compared to Final Fantasy XIV is that it's just been inconsistent. Final Fantasy XIV is like, you get an expansion every two years good wars 2 is like yeah you get an expansion when you feel like it uh, every once in a while until now so hopefully they'll find some regularity and be able to actually you know bring that consistency and get some get the player base up and that's pretty much it for announcements like i i kind of looked and i'm sure there was like maybe some small little update trailers or anything but i didn't quite see anything else to list uh outside of some new release dates and some sales updates. So we'll roll right on into those. So here's the big one that people were wondering if it was going to sell well or not due to some rumor mongering from a few weeks back. Final Fantasy 16, of course, just released not too long ago. We had our big uh, initial podcast discussion on that game last week. Final Fantasy 16 has sold over 3 million copies worldwide. And that was based, there was a lot of scrutiny like, well, how does that compare to 15? How does it compare to seven remake uh, based on how many consoles, like, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of apples to oranges. Cause of course this is PS five exclusive of which there's only what, like 35 million total sales, whatever. 38 million units sold. If I remember it, like the console. Sold. And this, and this was over what, six days versus when final fantasy 15 was first reported. It was over three days, but that was on multiple consoles. So it's a lot of 
nebulous comparisons, but I, I think yeah, I think I think three million copies will be like uh, like depending on what the person is comparing it to will be either a positive or a negative. Yeah, right? I think you, that's a very positive sale for a PS5 exclusive for an install base that's nowhere as much as like 15 started. You know, but yeah, like I, I think those are pretty good like numbers like for like the first uh, first few days and see like see if it has legs. I think that'll be the thing with this game like. Like, will it continue selling at a consistent rate over a period of like months to a year? And then when this comes to other platforms, like, you know, a PC version will be in the works. You know, how much, uh, how much will that like add on to it when that comes out? Um, but I think, you know, just in terms of like the scope of like the PS5 install base, like, not everyone got a PS5 to play FF16, you know, but I, I think this is decent, like, for what it is. It's not, it's no like Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. 10 million sold like in the first three days yeah. obviously but it's a very you different know, I, thing I, I was even gonna wait for like next year to get ps5 but since this game is coming out this year i decided <laughs> to get now you know instead of waiting another year because i keep thinking maybe there's a new mid mid model upgrade over the years i think that's that's pretty cool i mean like uh, i finished uh the game like last weekend uh shortly after we did our last podcast and you know it's 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 a uh, pr- pretty pretty decent i was very impressed it's a very up and down game for me. It's yeah. it's like the yeah. hype is very hype moments, and yeah. the low is just barely mid, like the character mid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So if we were doing, are we doing a final thoughts for this game eventually? No, not, 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 not right now. We'll we'll do it some other time. It looks like July is pretty pretty open. So my guess is that we'll we'll wrap back in later in July. Yeah, if anything. So yeah, that that'll be a a good time. We'll we'll see if we can slot it in, but. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to say about this game. I do have some thoughts on it, but you know, I, I completely uh, agree with everything um, Colin said in his review. It's a very amazing review. Everyone should give it a read. I mm-hmm. think I, I share the same sentiment as him. You know, I mean, this game isn't uh, trying to be RPG. It is a pure, awesome action game, mm-hmm. and that's why it should try to be. The other sales update that we had this week is that. Uh, the Atelier Ryza series, all three games, have surpassed 2 million copies. I think the last time we talked about this, was it literally, Adam, surpassed 1.9 million copies or 1.8? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, so, uh, so before Atelier Ryza 3 released, they announced that the first two games combined sold 1.6 million. And then around like the financial year, they announced that Ryza 3 sold 300k. So doing the math, it was at 1.9 million. And now we get the two million. Okay, I think that I think today is also the first uh, the the premiere of the first episode of the Rise of One anime adaptation, I believe. So I, I there forgot you go. I was getting an anime adaptation. Well, and and, and one thing and, and one thing we were predicting that we'd see eventually is the first game hitting a million on its own. So I don't think that's happened quite yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see that. But obviously, a high sorry a high water mark for the series. So. A success, and we'll go ahead and keep updating it whenever they uh, share the new milestones. Uh, last sales update we got here is that Monster Hunter Rise, which of course just recently got its last extra update or whatever they called it, the free update, the bonus update, um, at least on PC and Switch. I believe that's going to come in August for uh, for PlayStation and Xbox. Monster Hunter Rise has sold and shipped 13 million copies and the Sunbreak expansion, 6 million. 
So that said, FF sixteen sixteen is, is cooked. It's over. <laughs> it's kind of strange. Like compared to FF sixteen, that's incredible. Compared to Monster Hunter World, it's like, huh, it's a little less. So like <laughs> no, the the scales of these are is always so crazy. But obviously, a big success. And of course, now with that kind of in the bag, the big question is when is Monster Hunter six? So built on RE engine and all that stuff. Yeah, that's gonna be. I can't even imagine what they're what they're planning to do uh, with the next one. Going into some release dates. So, well, I think I have these in chronological order. Uh, an indie RPG, Arcadian Atlas, will release on PC on July twenty seventh. This is the one that has kind of like the very very Final Fantasy Tactics Advance inspired. Um, art style and at least in at least gameplay perspective obviously i don't know the progression mechanics work like that but that's the imagery that it evokes when you watch the trailer uh here is the big one for this month so a lot of these uh, sales updates are kind of for like indie or smaller releases but this one baldur's gate 3 was originally slated to release on the last day of August. And I, I forget if Adam brought it up in a recorded podcast or if it was just in a in a side conversation, but it was one of those things where Baldur's Gate 3 is purportedly this really big, huge game about a week away from Starfield, which is this endless, huge game. <laughs> so Larian Studios announced that the PC version of Baldur's Gate 3 is actually being moved up to release on August 3rd while the console version on PlayStation 5 is being slightly delayed to September 6th. I, I mean, I saw, that is genius. That is, that's a really good move. I saw some people just kind of describe this as like Baldur's Gate rolled a D20 for evading Starfield or something like that because they're just trying to get out of the way. Yeah, hopefully that's not, that just means like it, it launches like at a pretty stable, like hopefully that like this move up doesn't like make them have to rush faster to get this up and running at a stable rate uh, compared to what it would have been like if we just met it's August 31st. Like, hopefully, like, it's cool that we're getting it earlier, but, you know, the, hopefully that, that that's at the cost, like, some dire cost to, like, the game's quality itself. I have two minds of that. Uh, my One mind on the positive end, it's been on an early access for a long while, so I'm hoping that that means that they've got all the major issues kind of sussed out just because it's been playable for years. Yeah. But also, so was Divinity Original Sin 2. And I remember when that game first launched, in the very first fort area, there was like this terrible memory leak. I remember oh, I, was no. trying to review, I was trying to review that game, and my, the longer you'd spend in that area like your VRAM or it was either your RAM or VRAM usage would just keep climbing and it would just start chugging. Ah. And I, I, I didn't really know at the time, like what it was like, man, this game is terrible. And then like they, they, they're, they're early on. I forget if it was pre-release or like a day one patch. We're like, Oh, oop, we fixed it. So hopefully they'll avoid that. But you know, they've, they've got uh, a lot of, of that experience under their belt and it's been in early access for a while. So hopefully it's, it's obviously the fact that they're moving it up nearly a whole month. Shows a lot of confidence, so that's always good to yeah. see. Yeah, and they they showed like you know they had uh, some more like uh, infographics about like what um what are the playable races are they what are all the all playable classes subclasses what they're adding like uh, it's it, it seems very very robust like the the figure that they were throwing around it's like it's it's like yeah like a normal playthrough is gonna be like around seventy five to like a hundred hours that's like holy shit <laughs> so it's I gonna do, be a I, big one. I do like how candid they are. Uh, 
According to Michael Dowse, who is the director of publishing, he said, this means that the PC version of Baldur's Gate 3 will be released at a time when you'll have more time to play it. So they're not being like cheeky about why they're moving it forward. They're like, oh, yeah. it's kind of crowded back in that September time frame. So let's, let's just move it up a bit. And the reason why the, the console one was delayed is because they're really targeting that 60 uh, FPS for PS5. Yeah, and, and for the consoles, like it's only PS5 uh, for right now, right? Like that's the only console. Yeah, I, 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 I remember about a year ago, people were wondering like, uh, wait, does this mean like you got a publishing deal? Or it's not coming on an Xbox? I'm trying to remember what it was. And okay, okay, just... okay, okay, let me explain. So they never announced this game for Xbox. Technically, they still have not announced this game for Xbox. Not really. Not like formally and officially. You might be wondering, yes, they did. And like, no, they haven't. Basically, they were asked about the Xbox version, like you said, and they basically said, we don't have a console deal. We don't have a marketing deal. We are just still working out an issue getting the specifically the co-op to behave well with Xbox, specifically with Xbox Series S, which is the less powerful console. So really, if you want to point finger to blame here, it's that Xbox Series games have to work on both the X and the S version. Mm -hmm. And right now they're like, we're trying to get it on Xbox, but the S version is causing us headaches. So, so it's like we're not we're not announcing it for Xbox, but we're working on it for Xbox, but it's not announced. <laughs> yep. It's sort of like soft announced. Like we're working on it, but we cannot announce it yet. You're mentioning something earlier, George, like you know, of them moving this uh at like really, really smart like on your end. Like well what what's your uh how do you see this? I mean I, I mean obviously I think everyone can, you know, kind of figure this out, but but like July and August are kind of a are kind of slow months in terms of AAA releases. Um and you know, when September kicks in and like Starfield comes in full force, like not even Starfield, like late August we have Armored Core. Okay, that's when it yeah. really all right. And then and then from Armored Core on, it's just an onslaught of like AAA releases, big games and um, and you know, from my, from you know, most people's perspectives, moving up, you know, Baldur's Gate specifically um, on PC uh, is a very smart move because August doesn't really have like, but the beginning of August, right? There's not really anything, um, you know, coming out, you know, big coming out during that time. And, and I mean, and Starfield is a Microsoft exclusive anyway, so you know, PlayStation people can just play Baldur's Gate instead of Starfield. So. You know, um, I've seen some and, people making fun. Like, if you're not a PC player, when September 6 rolls around, you have like sort of a PlayStation exclusive in Baldur's Gate and an <laughs> Xbox exclusive in Starfield, like head to head. Yep. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, like, they're both on PC, so it's kind of like, well, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, but definitely, like, I, I listed out like September's releases, like, uh, like a, a few weeks back, and it's just like, it's just. It's 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 tough, man. You obviously Starfield. You have anonymous code for visual novel fans. You have the Yuta Boundless Trails RPG fans. Liza P is looking to be a solid Souls-like game. Mortal oh, Kombat uh, One for fighting Eternite game fans. Eternites is coming. I think yeah, yeah, Eternites and Payday Three. And, and there's like also game. some smaller games that I'm interested in. Like I'm interested in both Sea of Stars and Atlas Fallen. Which are both like oh, stars. Yeah, I'm those are both in Sea of Stars. Yeah, those are both yeah. those are both August games. So we talk about September being crowded. August is also crowded, especially if you're me and you're one of ten people playing Guild Wars. <laughs> so I was like, oh, so I'll, I'll, I'll finish Reverie, then I'll 
promised to finish Zelda because I haven't finished that yet. I, I like I like what I played in the Atlas Fallen preview, so I'm actually like really looking forward to Atlas Fallen, seeing how that shapes up too. So in August, like I'm I'm definitely there for Atlas Fallen. I, that's yeah. almost like that's almost like the opposite of uh, Baldur's Gate in terms of like they announced the release date when they first showed gameplay for May, and then like two weeks later they're like, never mind, we're not ready for May. Uh, how about August? <laughs> so that one I feel like is coming in hot. So yeah. Yeah, and then um, I don't know if you discussed this, you know, um, a, a week or two ago on the previous podcast, um, but uh, um, but it Immortals of Avium got delayed from July to like August, like three days before Armored Core. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we didn't discuss that because like we don't know exactly how RPG it is. It's looking like it might be more RPG than it's letting on. So I'm, we might yeah, actually probably. end up uh, covering yeah, it. I I played it. I played it at Summer Games Fest. It's it's like it's like um it's like a Call of Duty or Halo, but with like uh, magic. So yeah, so yeah. To me, like whenever I think see this guy, it's like I just think of like it's for spoken but an FPS. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know if that's good or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean so so basically like mm-hmm. like for example, that game, you know, Immortals of Avium, supposed to come out, I think July 20th or something uh-huh. or something. Like it's like it's really close to Pikmin 4. Um, but then they delayed it to a month to like August twenty second, and which I think is three days before Armored Core. Like, yeah, they, they they want that extra month for polish, but like at the same time, well, you're kind of screwed because there's Armored Core. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I wonder if there's like a big like audience overlap between like that kind of game and Armored Core too. Like, so I, like I, maybe they're just hedging bets. Like, I don't know if this is like a big audience overlap with uh, Immortals of Avium versus Armored Core. We'll right. see. Like, uh, but like, if, but if if people were like choosing one or the other, like it presented in front of them, it's like I think most people would go like we're the big from software release, regardless or yeah. not if they're armored. I'll be honest, when I think of Immortals of Avium, I'm like, what is that one again? Oh, it's the one with the screen with like the <laughs> current <laughs> the current the inventory, yeah, like the destiny <laughs> type of like inventory. Yeah. yeah. But, but, yeah, I mean, I watched, but I was watching some trailers on Steam as uh, George was just talking about just now, and it does actually look really neat, like a magic focus FPS, like a hexen. I, I, I or think, I think, yeah, I think that game, like, I feel like it, 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 it's probably better to play than it is to show, like, right? Like, I think it does, despite its very nature, it feels like it's a game that's probably more fun to actually like get your hands on more so than like what you're seeing on screen because what you're seeing on screen is like the bit rate is like dying, and it's just a lot, a lot of movement of like magic spells being flung all over the place, and I don't know if it's a great spectator type of game but maybe like in practice when you're playing it for yourself like maybe there's actually something there yeah i mean i liked mm-hmm. i liked um what i played of it yeah i don't think i'm like completely completely blown away um but but i, I think it's pretty solid in okay. uh in terms of like his gameplay and um I mean, okay here's the thing when i think of immortals of avium just the name itself immortals of avium that sounds like like if you were to watch a movie and they would just make up a video game, <laughs> you know, like a fake game name. That's what the name sounds like to me. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, it doesn't look like right that now. though. Sometimes you have game titles that sound like fake made up, and then you have games that look like yeah. fake made up. This one, hey, this, one looks, yeah. this one looks really yeah. polished. It looks. Really I just nice. on a tech level, you know, it's gonna be gonna be one of the earlier like Unreal Engine five type of yeah. games. See, like you know, like, that'll be in practice when it comes out. So. We'll see. We'll see. It's gonna be gonna be very busy for games uh, very soon again. Finishing out some of the releases, uh, we have a Switch port coming out on August 11th. This is for RPG Rainbow Skies. 
not familiar with this RPG, but it originally came out in 2018. It's on Vita and PlayStation. I, I think I, I, this is like one of the earlier like PlayStation was it three or four indie games like. I, I bought out. the first one on PS3. Yeah, like Rainbow. Like I remember Rainbow Skies was like it's like the the it's claim to fame on PS2. It was like oh, this is like one of the first like indie made RPGs sold digitally on the PlayStation store, and that was like the novelty of it. I don't know if it was actually ended up being good but i remember like the name and it's like oh okay that's an I interesting i like, don't remember like, much of about it i just remember it had a lot of mechanics for for like a small indie title and then i think i dropped the game because it just got really complicated mm-hmm. at least that's why i remembered but no mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like, like it looks like looks like reviews are mixed like metacritic's not gospel but it looks like it had a few shortcomings but Getting released on Switch for people, you know, to just make it available to modern console and people for, to form their own opinions. Yeah. Wait, what What game is this? Rainbow, Rainbow Skies. Yeah. It's like the it's like uh, an isometric, like, fantasy strategy RPG. Yeah, I pulled up uh, Metacritic. I, it's 64. And I never want to take that as gospel because I've enjoyed some some games in the 60s quite a bit. But uh, clearly well, wasn't I, a, uh, a world I, I played a lot of Armored Core games. You know what the, the average Metacritic scores for those Armored game, Core games were? 64. They were lucky if they made it 60. Ah, so they're that's just because they're too hard and no one's good enough. To that's, play true. Them. that's true. That's <laughs> true. Uh, Toho New World will launch for PlayStation 4 and 5 on September 12th. Uh, it's already slated to launch on Switch and PC in mid July on the 13th. Right. This is the one that this is the one that I remember when it was announced. I looked at it, I'm like, this just looks like. Looks like an East uh, East game. As I look at it again. I'm like, yep, kind of looks like an East game. So <laughs> I should give it a try. I'll see how it goes. Yeah, our Toho correspondent. Look, I have I'll... been in certain Toho games. Mm-hmm. I have even almost been extra stage and embodiment of the Scarlet Devil. So that tells you that I'm no slouch. I mean, it doesn't tell me shit because I don't know what the fuck you just said. But you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll give okay. it to you. I'll give All it right. to you if you want it. That's a, that's a raw title, though. Embodiment of the Scarlet <laughs> Devil. Like I'm, I'm intimidated by that game. I haven't even seen it. <laughs> In 2023, we are going to get the first four Mercenary Saga Chronicles games. These are games that are very like indie Final Fantasy Tactics-like games. A lot of them were initially exclusive to Switch, the first four. It looks like five and six did also already release on Steam on PC. So the publisher, uh, the developer, Ridion and the publisher, Circle Entertainment, have announced that the first four entries, which are currently Switch exclusive, will make their way to PC uh, by 2023. All I, I know about... Like, uh, I, need, I, I want someone who's played all these games to tell me if they're good or not. We, <laughs> That's yeah, we had a reviewer cover the first couple Switch games, and they uh, they thought they were very um, average. And um, the, the, the tactics RPG space, if I was going to pick up a tactics RPG that I haven't played yet, I'd pick up uh, um, Tactics Ogre Reborn. But if you've already played all those and you're interested in trying these out, they're they're currently on Switch, and before the end of the year, they'll be on uh, on Steam. And then the last bit here is something that we kind of talked about a little bit early on, but you put in a slot here, Josh, just to kind of go over what we might expect to see from Anime Expo uh, yeah. for next so, week. We kind of we kind of talked about specifically like what publishers were present or had some sort of presence there, but it looks like uh, over at Gamatsu, they've specifically called out the 
particular titles that are going to be uh, potentially looked at. Yeah, so like it, like in a little bit after this recording, just like in a few hours, Bandai Namco is going to have their summer showcase. You know, we don't know exactly what to expect. They'll have like you know, their anime games, like this new Sword Art Online game. For some reason, they listed One Piece Odyssey in part of like their maybe itinerary. Um, they might get like more content for that, um, and then that, we might see some new reveals possibly here. So who, who knows what they have up in stuff? I see. I assume we're going to see more Sandland as well from mm-hmm. there. I mean, that's kind of, kind of anime is kind of like the perfect place to showcase that game again. Um, Guys, I want Scarlet Nexus too. Look, my friend is also coping for Scarlet Nexus too as well. I have a, I have a friend. He's like, please, Scarlet Nexus too. I'm like. You know what? They're probably not going to reveal it there, but I'm with you. I, I really yeah. like Scarlet Nexus. A Scarlet Nexus follow-up with a bigger budget would be pretty surprisingly yeah. good, I think. We're with you, George. Um, Hell yeah. Scarlet Nexus always tastes to think about it here and there. Um, does anyone remember that Capcom game that they showed recently that looks like a samurai game? Yeah, the um, Path to the Goddess, or was it Kuni something? Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got so... I was like, Watching my friend playing Animusha, I was like thinking, you know, Capcom made Animusha it with Sekiro mechanics. When Chow said Capcom Samurai game, I didn't know what he was talking about. So I Google Capcom Samurai game, uh-huh. and the first choice, the first res- uh, result is Animusha, <laughs> right? When yes, Chow talking about yeah. Animusha. When they when they first showed like the reveal trailer for that, just like as a tangent, like a, a lot of my friends were like, "Is this a new Onimusha game?" Like just the first few seconds without like no, not knowing, you know, what the title was or anything. Like, because ah man, it, it's still weird. They like put out like a remaster of the first Onimusha game that never put up another Onimusha game again. I think the problem with that remaster is they don't use the original soundtrack, but you don't want to use the original soundtrack because it'll be like a, a copyright nightmare because of that scam artist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, so, let's, uh, other uh, game deals uh, we'll see at Anime Expo. Well, they'll have a panel for Disgaea 7. Yeah, the games. My friend These lined up an hour to play Relink, Granbu Relink over there. Yeah, they, they have a demo. It, it completed the demo. It was very fast. It took her no time at all to complete the demo. So <laughs> the that, line... Yeah, people, people there are, are, are they are confirming it's a real video game and moving on with their lives. Like, okay, well, we'll play it when it comes out. The so, line to get there is worse. I imagine. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I, I do not like going to Anime Expo with a normal badge. I always go there with a press badge. I... Uh, better wear a mask when you go there. Apparently, there's too much odor. Oh, it's oh, almost like going course. to a mask you, convention. You'll have to, like, triple mask when you get there at this point. Ah. <laughs> <You're, this> is... <laughs> So and then um, Atlas and Sega are gonna have like a, a a concert for the Shin Megami Tensei series to celebrate its 30th anniversary. Uh, supposedly there will be no new announcements. But yeah, not... They're literally the press release yeah. said there's no announcements, but maybe they're lying. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see what else we have. Um, the obviously uh, it's Atlas and Sega. They have separate panels for Persona Five Tactica and Persona Three Reload, so we might get n- new info from them. Uh, about it um sega is also hosting a panel for the yakuza like a dragon series so you know we might they, they might show off some new footage for uh upcoming titles for that whether it's the man with no uh name uh spinoff game or the, the like a dragon infinite wealth uh i, I can't imagine it'll be too too much new, new info on that but we'll see um obviously uh like we said grand fantasy they, they're showing off Relink with a demo. They also have uh, Versus Rising uh, there, uh, which is the the, the next new Grand Blue Versus 
a fighting game, like kind of like a sequel, a follow-up. Um, there all there's also a panel for Fate Grand Order uh, to celebrate its sixth anniversary, the global version. Um, uh, supposedly, like like last year, they're gonna have uh, shared new new news on upcoming Type Moon projects. Uh, who knows what is what it is uh, at this point? Like the the surprise last year was they were localizing uh, the uh, Mahosukai. Which on the Hollywood uh, night? Yeah, I'm trying to remember the the English name. Um, and so this year, obviously, Fate Samurai Remnant is coming out in September. Uh, we still have no new news or like no recent news on the Fate Extra remake. So maybe we'll we'll hear new new news on that. Um, I can't think of what other type moon projects, unless I don't they, think they would to... share Japanese news, would they? they like, it's, it's mostly English stuff. Because it's, it's like, what, what are the odds that they would announce uh, Sukihime, uh, the, the red part? I, I forgot what it's called. I mean, in, the, uh, in order to announce that, they have to announce an official localization of the first one first, right? True. Because because we're all we're all working with the fan translation that recently wrapped up, but in order to announce. Part two first. They would have to announce part one first for a visual localization. So maybe they'll do that. That that'd be great. But um, we'll see. That, that that'd be a very big surprise as well. Also, be kind of ironic because the fan translation has recently wrapped up as well. But obviously, <laughs> but that happens a lot in the localization scene. Yeah. It's like we just wrapped up, and now they're like, oh, there's an official version coming. Like, but oh, but obviously, obviously, it'd be very good to have an official release up over just a fan translation, right? Yeah. Show your support. Um, and then, like being able to just play that on official uh, devices and in an official way, um, I would so. always support the English version of stuff like this would happen. So yeah. that you know, it's the only way you get to see sequels coming. You know, yeah. if you don't buy it, then there's no sequels. Exactly. Um, there'll be a, a Spike Chunsoft panel. They're going to show off more, probably on the development and maybe future content for Raincode, as we discussed earlier, along with um, the the next science adventure title, Anonymous Code. Uh, that which recently released in Japan a few months ago, and then uh, the English localization is coming in September. Um, and I think that's about it for like significant um, video game stuff happening. Obviously, there's gonna be a Cyber Connect 2 panel as well. They'll be uh, discussing Fuga 2, which recently released, and who knows if they're gonna show off any new projects uh, that's cooking over at Cyber Connect 2. Should ask the random staff, have you played? OG FF7 remake. OG FF7 remake. <laughs> Dude, I still want to know what OG FF7 remake under CyberConnect 2 look like. I need it so bad. Oh, Is it so bad that they had to take it to their hands or it just wasn't meeting their Dude, standards? I'll do, I'll do anything to see that. Just to see that running and play it for myself even. Oh, God. Hopefully, like, in a decade, somehow, someone will, like, Get that build somewhere, steal that build, and just distribute it. Prototype leak to the public, like Resident Evil One Point Five. Uh, but yeah, I think that's that's it for what we can expect for Anime Expo. So hopefully, there'll be some big, cool surprises to talk about next week. Yeah, and that kind of covers us for an abbreviated news section here. But yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about next week. The Anime Expo, maybe with some surprises with a Scarlet Nexus too, but you didn't hear it from us first. So uh, you can find RPG site on all the social media networks, uh, networks, channels. You can go search for RPG site on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Assuming Twitter's still around in a week. Who knows at this point? Yeah. Hey, hey you don't want to, uh, just, just, just in case, you know, just in case Twitter's still up by the time this episode comes out, uh, you should uh, let us know where we find, where can, we can find you in the, on the internet, George. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so you can find me on on Twitter, um, at uh, Yin Yang Fui. So why? Yeah. Well, maybe. So it's it's Y I N Y A N G F O O E Y. Um, I'm on Twitter at that handle. Um, that's also my Blue Sky handle. Um, which oh, you're you're you're, you're 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 one of the privileged. Yeah, yeah. I am. Uh, I am part of the privileged. Yes, I'm. I am the uh, upper class. Oh, <laughs> send an invite when you have one, man. Yeah, Keep it on there. Um, I haven't posted anything on Blue Sky yet, though. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Twitter goes to shit, I guess I'm going there. Mood. But yeah, and go ahead and, of course, go to IGN. Go to the IGN video review for Trails and Reverie for that George mm-hmm. put up and give it a thumbs up. Give it a comment if you got it. And then go to his review of uh, Rain Code over at RPG site and put a comment there if you like as well. And then, of course, once we have our own review, review uh, go ahead and like it or dislike it as you please. Once that's up on the site, we'll tweet uh, it out. They're going to they're gonna be like, this was better than the Cold Steel 4 review. More of a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Since then, of course, I reviewed uh, it. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did do the impressions piece, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and he was very positive yeah. about it. And <laughs> And then, of course, if you've listened to this podcast all the way through, we do like to see any feedback that I know at this point when we're signing off, I'm sure a lot of people have already clicked off. But if you're still listening, please uh, go ahead and give us a comment. We love reading those. Um, If you haven't, join our Discord by uh, hitting the link at the top of the RPGsite.net homepage or going to discord.gg slash RPG site. Uh, and we will we will be back next week with another episode of the Tetracast talking about anything and everything that comes out of Anime Expo. We'll catch back up with uh, James. Um, Until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you all later. Thanks for joining us, George. We appreciate it. Thank you you so much for having me.